By the time you hear this podcast, you'll be sleeping with one eye open, gripping your pillow tight. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with our 77th episode. Yeah! I think. Something like that. Yeah! (laughs) Thank you to everyone listening so far. And we are on Facebook Live now. Now you can see us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Thank you to everyone who's listened so far. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, If you want to find out more about this podcast or where you can listen to it or whatever. Um, if you're watching us on Facebook live, you're already there. You already found a Facebook, yeah. found a Facebook page. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook.com slash by the time you hear this, uh, that is also, we also have a website by the time you hear this.com and which you can listen to all our episodes and, uh, with there are videos and links to other topics that we discuss. Uh, if you want to get with us on social media, we're on Instagram at by the time you hear this spelled with the letter U because with the Facebook and the website, it's spelled with the word U, but we spell the Instagram with the letter U because we're upstanding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's also the same spelling for our email address. By the time you hear this at gmail.com in which you can send your comments, questions, concerns, show ideas. If you're an independent artist, we will uh, play your music and discuss it. Yeah. For free. No charge. Yeah. None. Yeah. We did an episode about payola and, um, we are against it. Yeah. Very against (laughs) it. (laughs) Although I feel there's some artists out there that might've benefited from it. (laughs) Like maybe you should have done it because you just weren't making it on your own. (laughs) And, uh, if you want to listen to us on the go, uh, with your mobile device, we are on Podomatic. Uh, if you have an iPhone, there's the podcast app, a.k.a. iTunes. 
there uh, if you have an android phone go to the google music app and either of those places leave us a review yeah we would appreciate it yeah and you can also listen to us on TuneIn, Castbox, Overcast, Satchel Podcast Player, and Auto Radio, and any other podcast app that is free. Yeah, something to that effect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we have a guest on our podcast. I, if you're watching this, you already know. Yeah. Like <laughs> well, yeah, you can see already. Surprise! Who could it be, guys? <laughs> um, I think this is our first. Is he our first in-studio guest of the year? Uh, yeah, yeah, he is, of this year, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, well, Ben, why don't you introduce him? So this is a gentleman I used to work with. Well, at- first, I just say, Ben finally booked a guest. Come on, now, I... <laughs> I I got someone right. I brought Matt on. Whatever. Hey, so yeah. I knew Matt already. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't count. So um so yeah, I used to work with this uh guy over at well, when it was Endeavor. It's now One Path. Mm-hmm. Um and he's still there. Really cool guy. Um your friendly neighborhood metalhead. Um so I know we always talk about metal, and honestly, it's like we don't know that much about it. I mean, we surface level knowledge, but he is. Um, a genuine bona fide metalhead, um, host a podcast. I'll let him talk about it. Um, Patrick Delaney. Thank you for having me, guys. It was a yeah. real pleasure. Woo! Yeah, me and, me and Ben go go way back, and we would always get into musical uh, conversations at work, and it was made the time go by uh, yeah. so much faster. And yeah, I'm a huge metal guy, and but I have appreciation for all music metal, which yes. for some reason is what grabbed me at a younger age and just was like, this is this is your thing. I don't know. It just connected with me in a different a different way. But I've always had a huge respect for a large portion of music, and yeah. Ben always connected on our love of, of music. And uh, I was actually inspired by Ben because I think you started a podcast. I know a couple friends who started yeah. other a basketball podcast, and it just seemed like oh, this is something you can just do. Yeah, <laughs> you can just pick up a microphone and just record yeah. yourself. So I do have a podcast where I blather on for an hour about <laughs> underground death metal. <laughs> so uh, called the Rogue Reviews Metal Podcast. Um, but yeah, that's been, I've been enjoying it. I did it for doing it for about a year and it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and yeah. it saves my girlfriend a lot of headache because I would be talking to about it to her if it wasn't for the podcast. So <laughs> she very much appreciates uh, Ben's inspiration. I still talk. My fiance's are off. I still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably <still laughs> too. And I forced her to listen to it. I'm like, Hey, you should, we made a joke. You should listen to <laughs> it. Um, so as far as like what, um, what got you interested in in metal? So you said it was as a as a kid. Yeah, like what was, was the first album or or image or something? I like that? I remember my very well, the very first music I got into. I was a huge. I remember when Masterpiece Ghetto D came out. He's not joking. That We've was my first album I've ever gotten. I still love that record. <laughs> I, I saw Boys to Men when I was in like middle school, and, uh, and my aunt took me to a concert. So I was very much into a lot of music. It wasn't until like a friend of mine, he literally got actually one of the artists that we're going to talk about today, Metallica, he actually had a Metallica album and somebody got it for him. He it wasn't something he was really into. He just kind of threw it on my bed when we were hanging out one day at my house. And he was just like, I got this. I don't really care for it. Maybe you'll like it. And I like, I put, it was, it was Metallica's master of puppets. I put it in oh, the stereo wow. and battery comes on. And Oh man. So if you, if you listen to this podcast and you kind of like a little bit of Metallica and you put on master of puppets, just think that there is this like eight year old kid in a, in his room who puts this album on. And that first track just comes blazing through the stereo. And I was just like, 
what is this? <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, I, so I don't know if it was just like, you know, being in middle school, starting to become aware of your surroundings, mm-hmm. having like that, you know, teenage, soon to be teenage angst. And it was just, it just grabbed me. And I was, that was pretty much my first introduction. And then I soon got the Black Album. Nice, nice. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So your first introduction to Metallica is probably one of their more aggressive <laughs> albums, if not most aggressive album. Yeah. And Battery, of all... Tra- like, okay, yeah, you put up, yeah. And then you're just sitting there like, how can this record get more aggressive than Battery? And then the title track comes on yeah. afterward. You're just like, what? I, I had never heard anything like that. Because even at the time, I think it's obviously like growing up in like most of the 90s, like we've heard all of the like the grunge and yeah. the radio rock. You heard your corns that were coming up at the time. But none of that was compared to like like thrash metal, like the early 80s th- underground thrash metal. So it was like, I heard that and I was just like, this is different. Ironic you mentioned corn because that was my introduction to metal in my freshman year of high school. Someone suggested that I get follow the leader mm-hmm. <laughs> and I bought it. And what's fun is like, you know, if so, like if you're growing up as a black kid, like your parents worst nightmare is if you get like if you want like a gangster rap album. So it's like, <laughs> oh, no, he's listening to like he wants the Ice Cube record or he wants the Master P record. Or he wants this. What's the corn? Yeah, whatever. Safe. Like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, corn's safe. Yeah, Limp biscuit. Yeah, that's safe. Like they just—they don't know. Oh, the cover is a little girl with the—is she playing hopscotch or yeah. a jump rope or something? Like they didn't well, even think twice. <laughs> didn't even think twice of what I'm listening to. <laughs> I remember, like, because I those corn records and new metal in general also was like really huge. Like at the time, it took a lot of influences, especially from like hip hop and stuff yeah. like that. But I had a lot of parents because I was known my my my, my, my father was a youth minister. And everybody knew I was a metalhead. So that always, that made sense to people at the same time. They're like, of course the youth minister's kid is the rebellious one. Like that just makes, that made sense to people. But people would go to my mom, especially I remember it happened for Corn, is they would say, my son wants this record. I don't know if I should get it for him. And my mom would say, I'm pretty sure Patrick has it. Let me let you borrow it. And then you could see if you want to. My mom would come to me and say, hey, can I borrow this record? Mrs. So-and-so wanted to listen to it. And then they would give it back to my mom and say, I'm not buying this for my son. And you should probably think about taking this away from yours. And that, that is actually the first time my mom actually was like, maybe I'm doing parenting wrong. Maybe I should, maybe I should uh, do something. Because my mom was very much, she came from the hippie generation. So she was like, as long as you don't go to jail, you just call me and tell me you're alive. And just, and just, don't, and just don't end up in jail. But I will give you freedom. So ultimately, she would buy me records with the parental advisory sticker and like, never cared. But that was the one point where she was like, am I doing something wrong? <laughs> like, I remember, and I was looking at her, I was like, corn, really? It's corn that's going to be, I was like, I was listening to like Slayer at the time. I was like, I have much worse, worse. than corn. It goes, it goes deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what scared her, but she got, in a good sport, she got up, she got up for that. <laughs> it, uh, it was kind of, my mom was kind of the same way, but I only listened to the albums that she already had. I wasn't buying my own CDs until I got to high school. Like I grew up listening to contemporary. Yeah. So you jazz. listen to like really like deep like thinking person's music, like thinking. Well, well, a lot of like music with no lyrics. Yeah, that make you think. Like, yeah, oh, I wonder why they titled this the way it is. <laughs> I, I listen to like a lot of not not jazz like Davis Miles Davis Coltrane. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like contemporary. Like beat machines behind it, yeah, acid jazz, so to speak, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much stuff like that. Yeah, everybody thinks like metal and hip hop is crazy. It's like, have mm-hmm. you guys listened to like like really experimental jazz? Like that's yeah. where the drugs are. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I concur. Yeah. No, it's, it is some out there. And so when I when I do think about that though, like 
with what Greg grew up listening to. I'm like, yeah, he, like, when you talk about, like, yeah, listening to your parents' albums, like, you know, like, some people, like, you know, depending on who you are, like, you know, either you listen to, like, classic rock, like, oh, I, I listen to the Beatles, or, you know, you listen to, like, you know, soul music. Like, for some reason, I found a Carly Simon record in my parents' collection, which was weird. <laughs> but, like, Greg, yeah, like, contemporary jazz. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like it informed your, like, like what you like now, what your parents listen to? Yeah. Because, I was going to say, I definitely think so. Because I, um, I was listening to stuff that I don't hear on the radio. And that kind of turned me off to the radio, and along <laughs> with having that. Um, remember, I had an escort, a Ford Escort. Yes, you could. You <laughs> could only listen to so much in that thing. <laughs> but the day is like when, like, I'm from Augusta, and in Augusta, my radio works fine. But when I'm in Carrollton, I can't get a signal. So I had to figure out a way. And then one year, my parents bought me an iPod. And I was able to play it in my car. And um, that's kind of how I've been rolling ever since. The rest is history. <laughs> I, I stream stuff from, from my devices rather than listening to the radio. Yeah, I don't listen to the radio either. I Which don't. is sad because I feel like the radio has like, it's one of those things where like there's so much music online. Yeah. There's so much artists coming out. But there's nothing to kind of tell, like bring it to the people. And mm-hmm. the one mechanism that's kind of there for everybody is the radio. And it's being misused. And it just, just it just constantly filters what's popular. It's like if you would just like, play unknown music, maybe mm-hmm. music would get more popular and have more of a well, share in the in the in the entertainment market. Like failing. we talked about with Payola, because of that, the power of like it used to be the DJ had the power. They yeah. could they could bring something to light and it'll become a hit because this DJ started playing it and then yeah. others DJ started playing it. But because of Payola, not even like not even after like Dick Clark, Alan Freed, but even like later in the seventies and eighties because of Payola, the power of the DJ has been taken away. Yeah. Now they're just on to be a talking head. You can get anybody to host a radio show mm-hmm. and play and like in the format of playing music and it's very unfortunate. You basically, <laughs> it, you leave it up to the consumer to discover music for themselves. Yeah. And that and is that, very unfortunate. And, and I mean, that's, but because of that, that's why some artists are more popular to where like, this music doesn't seem very good. How are they popular? Like all the mumble rappers out there, <laughs> you know, little something, little something, but because they're on SoundCloud and because, you know, kids are using the internet to, to find music. It's it's kids who are they're kind of like dictating what is what is popular. Mm-hmm. Like the radio, they'll still play, you know, Taylor Swift and Katy mm-hmm. Perry and them, but they're not really what's popular. As you know, we've discussed several times. Like, okay, where is Katy Perry's newest album ranking oh. this week? <laughs> not well. It, it's it, not. It, oh it's, no, she's it has not, not done well. well. That's why she's out there getting that American Good Idol money. money. Yeah, <laughs> too, yeah, yeah, it hasn't done very well at all. <laughs> And Taylor Swift is is falling. It's it's. I mean, it did well it, the first few weeks. Taylor, but... You you could basically well, in comparison to her two previous albums, this one has flopped. Yeah. Oh wow! Did she do something dramatically different? Nah. I mean, she well, did the same thing she did in 1989. It was a little. It's a little darker. She, if you can she, say darker. When you're doing <laughs> songs with Future. Yeah. Now I like that track though. Future and, and Ed Sheeran. But but but. Yeah. What is no, it with I that get song? It. What the rapping or the that horrible? she basically ripped off? She, she tries sounds like Drake. to rap. She she, tries. she sounds really? like Drake, it's and a, it's ridiculous. It's a really poor attempt at rapping, and 
But I, I mean, Ed Sheeran's on it, who I have a lot of respect for. Future's on it, who I ride with him just because he's from Atlanta. I try to support. If, if you're from Atlanta, I try to give you some modicum of support because I'm just happy that, you know, someone from Atlanta, like I like Atlanta's a small town. Like, you made it. Like, even though, like, you know, we're the biggest city in the Southeast, you know. <laughs> but somehow I'm like, you made it, man. You made it. It's awesome. I do, I do the same thing. There's a lot of, like, Atlanta metal bands. Yeah. You just want to be like, yep, we're, there's probably something more popular out there, but I want to cover this. Cause, you yeah, made it's, it. It's, it's, yeah. Have you ever gotten to where, like, um, if you, you, you saw a band before they got popular? I, and then and you actually like said it like you were yeah, a hipster. Yeah, I, so <laughs> yes, totally have. But uh, I think it was it was probably Lamb of God went on tour Ooh. with. Yeah, I saw them when right before As the Palaces Burn came out, and they played at the Masquerade, and they were opening for. I think Kill Switched Engage and Shadows Fall were pretty much the the more popular bands at the time, mm-hmm. as far as the new wave of American heavy metal, and that kind of it's like a scene in the Northeast that kind of happened around. Uh, the 2000s so pretty much when we were in like high schoolish, yeah that that area so but lamb of god was a small metal band from richmond who kind of got lumped in with this scene just because they were coming up at the same time and they went on tour so you have a whole bunch of these bands that are kind of they have more of like a, a singing chorus yeah kind of a little bit more of a melody and then all of a sudden this like straight richmond <laughs> metal death metal kind of i don't want to say called it death metal they they call it new wave of american heavy metal now but it kind of had a more of a guttural vocal mm-hmm. and i was like they were they were closing the show and everybody was like oh we're gonna see kill switch and then we're just gonna bounce and i was like no we're staying for lamb of god and like they came out and was just like you thought this guy was gonna like come off the stage and like oh, murder wow. you <laughs> and if you hear if you hear some of the music you'll be like yeah no i totally, I totally believe it. I, but that is my i saw Lam- but now they do like download festival like lamb of god's huge in the metal community which yeah. is which is funny because like I'm like everybody says like oh is what's what's the biggest like metal band like current metal band I would say Lamb of God but I'm like I have no idea how they rent like do do the does the average musical like person paying attention to like do they do they rank on the in the charts I have no effing idea I don't know I don't think so I mean it's, I don't know. it's the other side oh I gave you the bad one I'm sorry oh I'm good okay <laughs> that's the first time I moved <laughs> no I actually have a Lamb of God song as an earworm um i, be, I think it's redneck actually oh, right, yeah, is was, is yeah i would say i probably tried to because i used to give ben a whole bunch of music at work and yeah in retrospect i don't know why i gave because i would give him like i would yeah, give you him, gave like, me some pretty heavy bands yeah, i was like i would try like, it because from my point of view i'm like oh i'm giving him some lighter stuff to like get him into metal and he's like oh yeah a year ago you gave me god dethroned i'm like why would i give you that <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember why I thought Ben would like this right off the bat. Like I remember Mastodon when they came out with. Yeah. They had their more poppy album with the Cole Hunter. Or the Hunter. Yeah. And uh, which actually has a lot of parallels to the Black album in that sense. Like that was this that was their like more commer- I want to say more commercial album. One of my but favorites. It, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's like I don't think it, say, just like Metallica. Like I don't think it was them trying to be more commercial. It was just like the we evolution. went on this giant experimental concept album. And now we just want to play music that's like jump on the bed and have fun type of, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We just need a change for ourselves. But that in itself then becomes viewed as the more commercial. Because it's yeah. like, is it really super, the curl of the burl? Like, is that really God, a I super, love that song. it is such a good song. But it it's is like, such a good song. If you're going for like a radio hit, I don't yeah. think that's the chorus. <laughs> no. <laughs> Talking about trees and shit. Yeah. Like, I don't that's, think that's the, Yeah. I killed a man because he killed my goat. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, that's their opening line. Everybody says like that's the commercial one. I'm like, I don't. I mean, yeah. yes, it's it's got a like a poppy rock tune to it, but uh, I'm just like, and I think that's like the same thing with Metallica. Like, I don't think they were trying to be necessarily more commercial. I just think they were sick of 
we don't want to write another nine minute epic song. Yeah. I think we're, we just want to strip it down. So, um, moving to uh, well, we normally start off with something sad <laughs> uh, as far as news goes, but uh, this past week, uh, one of the you would say one of the founding fathers. Yeah, of hip hop. Yeah. Well, one of the founding fathers of Bad Boy Records. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of that era of hip hop, I should say. Um, yes. Craig Mack uh, passed away um, this past Tuesday, yeah, uh, forty-six old. years old from heart failure. Um, there was some some interesting post about it. Like you know, on our on our Instagram, I posted a picture. You know, rest in peace, and you know, kept it simple that way. But a lot of people were saying that they. Like if the song "Flavor in Your Ear" had an influence on you, yeah. if it impacted you in any way, that's fine. But to put him as like one of the greatest rappers ever, or he's much. as one of your favorites, to where there was one person who posted on Instagram like he came out with an album mm-hmm. last year and no one said anything. Yeah. So you can't say he's one of your favorite rappers now. I mean, I don't think you can really. You can't say that because you like one song. I like that one song. Yeah. Um. But it's 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 his legacy, and even though like you forget that uh, on his own remix, you could say Biggie had a better verse, Busta Rhymes <laughs> had a better verse. Just always um, that's the, that's so funny. You like say he had a better happen. You could say his verse was better than LL Cool J's because his was just some nonsense. He like made up like eight words. <laughs> And then there's some dude named Rampage who I've never heard from before or since. (laughs) But he's on one of the, like, you know, that's one of the most classic hip-hop remixes of all time. Well, it it makes me think of the Feral Monch. um, I'm trying to think of how you say it without saying what he actually says. Get Up, is it? I can't remember the dun-dun-dun-dun. Simon Says, that's the name Mm. of it. He had a remix with, like, everybody, like Buster Rhymes, Method Man, I think Red Man too is and like you forget it's his and you song. forget like oh wait this is actually a Feral Monch song I think like Foxy Brown got on there like everyone's on there and you're just like like all right pump the brakes man like why did you do this like you didn't the song stood on its own and then you went and got a bunch of people who were better than you <laughs> to get on your song it's like that's kind of a all right whatever man like do you, do you but it's got it's um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before there's this documentary. Um, I don't know how serious it is because like I use iMovie to edit videos. This was, this was edited on iMovie, maybe even windows media player. <laughs> That's how kind of like clunky it is. But basically with, uh, Craig Mack, he did not want to, he didn't want to make flavor in the year. I do remember you mentioning that. He didn't um, want to like, he heard the beat. He didn't really like it all that much. Um, Easy Moby, who also worked with Tupac and Biggie on on different songs, he had created the beat. Like in in those days, this was the early '90s. He would go to a record store, find some albums, and and then he said, the next morning, I ate a bowl of cereal <laughs> and I made this beat sitting in my underwear. <laughs> it was like something <laughs> like that. But at the time, uh, a lot of people don't really consider this, but with the way that Diddy thought as far as marketing rappers, he wanted to, them to have more of a pop appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't want it to be like you just, you know, rap, rap, rapidly. 
but <laughs> you know, wanted to have some kind of pop of have like a radio friendly rap music if there is such a thing. <laughs> and he's and um he played this beat for Craig Mack, he didn't really like it, and it took weeks of him and other artists saying you just you should do the song because Bad Boy was just starting and Diddy has all this backing, financial backing from Clive Davis and um, Andre Harrell and probably a couple other people. And he has these artists. This is before Biggie blew up and before, you know, with Fiat Faith Evans lined up and Craig Mack. And if you're going to come out in a big way, this is the song to do it on. Um, and he made the song. It's a hit, but he still... <laughs> He still couldn't, he's, he didn't want to like go along with whatever path did he had for him. And basically it's the same path that you saw with Biggie, even though it was a short amount of time, but basically like having this, um, it was like smooth rap music. Yeah. The lyrics are dark <laughs> and weird and crazy, but sonically it's, it's like appealing oh, to the ears. Yeah, yes. I like this. <laughs> You know, sampling um, Juicy Fruit or Isley yeah. Brothers, you know, <laughs> Diana, Ross. Diana Ross sampling <laughs> these R&B songs, uh, sampling uh, Rise by Herb Alpert. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And then eventually sampling Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> so. I stole that song. Oh, me too. No, don't get <laughs> me wrong. I'm not mad about it. I like it. But it's just it's funny. Like the you know, I don't want to go too off top of this just to hear him. Like, there's no place he won't go. <laughs> Say, I will sample Kashmir. <laughs> like, I would have sampled the immigrant song if they let me. <laughs> if they let me. But, um, you know, he basically, he was the, the only bad boy artist who didn't agree with Diddy's vision. And, you know, he kind of just faded away after that. Um, and... Uh, in the documentary is basically like what could have been if he had listened to Diddy because look at what Biggie mm -hmm. became and kind of what he still is every, even after he died. So um, I know Craig Mack for one song. Yeah, me too. That's it. <laughs> so, uh, but still, you know, rest in peace to him. And most um, people will probably know it more as the remix. Yeah, people yeah. probably know the remix more than yeah. the original version. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to the uh, charts. Um, we'll start with the top 100, 100. Well, the hot 100. We'll just go through the top 10. Uh, number one, still, it's still number one. God's plan by Drake. We, we got to call him wheelchair, Jimmy. <laughs> so to give background, cause Pat's looking like what Drake was on a show called Degrassi, mm -hmm. which was basically like what, like a Canadian teen soap opera. Yeah. Yeah. And he played like this character that was supposed to be like a really good basketball player. Like he was their star basketball player and tragically gets shot. Like, gets, oh, God. and he's like, he's bound to a wheelchair, like ruins his career. Like he can't go play basketball anymore. And he's in a wheelchair for what the rest of the show until the show goes off, isn't it? Well, until his character graduated, because it's technically still on the air. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, he. So like that's where, and then all of a sudden like he starts rapping and it's just like, and it's what's weird is like toward his end of the time on the show, he starts is, rapping. is when <laughs> his character starts rapping, oh wow, and it's weird because it's it's this guy in a wheelchair, 
Uh, so it, it looks weird to see that, but that's when he started showcasing his skills the, uh, towards the end of his time on that show. Does he still act? I know well, he was the, in something small, the, I think, but I don't like the last thing like I saw him in was a movie called Charlie Bartlett. It had, uh, Anton Yelchin and Kat Dennings and base Anton Yelchin's character plays like this kid. He's in a private school, but his dad goes to prison. He gets kicked out of school because he was um, selling fake IDs, and then he goes to this new school, and he's it's hard to make friends. But then he, you know, gives some kid advice and gives him like steals his mother's like uh, medications and started giving them to kids, like giving them like Xanax or oh. whatever. So he becomes like basically like this street psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the extent of he. But yeah, that's that's the last time I saw. Drake he's too busy in making. He's too busy rapping. Yeah. <laughs> I hear a lot about the stuff he wants to. Like he wants. Uh, there's a. Um, there's a British TV show or movie called oh, yeah, Top Boy. He wants to do that. He wants yeah. to bring that to America. But that's about it. I feel like all, a lot of artists at one time in music try to make a transition to do a couple things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just the. What about music and, and acting go hand in hand other than maybe being the star? Or maybe it's the front man? Because it happens sometimes in metal. A lot of artists will try to get into like a horror movie. It always happens in horror movies. Yeah, I don't know why. But I feel like everybody always tries to play their hand at it. And I'm like, I can see. Henry Rollins got in. He was he had a – well, I don't want to say a successful career. But he did. Was he, did he, was, he was acting. He was, a, he was in a couple of action movies. And he played the voice of Mad Stan in Batman Beyond, which was awesome. <laughs> Because now, anytime I see Henry Rollins, I hear him talk. I think Mad Stan. Another nickname for Drake: the Perpetual Kentucky Recruit. That too. Is, does he still get their layup lines? Oh Lord! I think yeah, he probably has recently. <laughs> Go home, Roger. <laughs> okay, uh, number two is uh, "Perfect" by the most influential artist in black music. Uh, number three is "Finesse" by. Bruno Mars and love and hip hop legend Cardi B. Number four, Psycho by Sirius Malone, featuring Ty Dolla Sign. That's Post Malone. If you want to follow yeah. along, <laughs> um, Havana by I'm sorry. Number five is meant to be by BB Rexa and the Nickelback of country. That's Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> uh, Havana by the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony. That's Cabilla Cabilla, <laughs> featuring Young Thug. <laughs> Uh, number seven, Look Alive by Blockboy JB featuring the perpetual Kentucky recruit, <laughs> a.k.a. Wheelchair Jimmy. <laughs> number eight, The Middle by Zed featuring Marin Morris and Gray. I've never heard that song. Nor have I. Uh, number nine, the, uh, Pray For Me by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar. And number 10, Stir Fry by Our Friends from Gwinnett. Yeah, yes, I forgot about that. Our Friends from Gwinnett. Amigos. All right, uh, the 200, hot, the Billboard 200, these are the top 10 albums. Number one, it was number two last week because Bon Jovi has a fan base. Um, number one, again, is the Black Panther soundtrack. Number two, up from number five, the Greatest Showman soundtrack. Making a comeback. I, well, who's still buying I this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who's still... Who's still buying the Greatest Showman soundtrack? Is it grandparents buying it for their kids like it's now? Like, I don't get it. Like, who's buying this album? 
I, I'm going to start kids. asking people because if this is the number two album in the country, there must be somebody. Like, I have a good chance of running into somebody. Have you bought it, Patrick? No, <laughs> no, I have not. Have you listened to it at all? No. Okay. no. <laughs> Nor have I. <laughs> uh, debuting at number three, Memories Don't Die by Tory Lanez. Number four, Culture 2 by our friends from Gwinnett. Number five, Divide by the most influential artist in black music. Number six, Stony by Sirius Malone. Number seven, Evolve by the retired or unretired 2K Legends. That's Imagine Dragons. Mm. <laughs> it sounded like they might have had a song in MLB The Show, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I do not recognize any of the oh, any of the records. That's why I was like, we gotta tell them the nicknames because he's like, who are these people? <laughs> the nicknames make more sense to me than the actual artists. <laughs> uh, number eight, Camilla by the uh, the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony. Number nine, Damn by Kendrick Lamar. We don't have one for him yet. And number ten, Day Sixty Nine by Six Nine. Hmm. And we'll go to the artist. Uh, Artist 100. No one released an album this week, so there's no like. Uh, the this is the the weirdest chart yeah. because we it's social media plus your sales plus your streaming. Hmm. Um, and a lot of times, if you release an album, you're at least in the top ten, yeah. or if you die, <laughs> or if you die. Because yeah. one week the Cranberries were number one, oh. and Tom Petty was number one, and Tom one. Betty was number one. Lincoln Park was number one. Yeah, oh, that makes me. And sad. Chester Bennington was, I think, was also on the list separately. <laughs> oh. Like so, yeah. If you if you release an album or you die, like that's you know, yeah. so you'll never see it. But you know, <laughs> that's really sad. I collect, I collect vinyl records, and as soon as I heard that Chester passed away, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, they're just about to, they're going to get every Lincoln Park record <laughs> on vinyl. The next week, like we did, yeah, they were in the top we did, ten. We did an episode about Hybrid Theory. But that next week, Hybrid Theory, Meteora, and Minutes to Midnight. All top ten. And I then the, then it was there and the was, newest one too. The, I their think. newest one. We're all in the top ten. I like two of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this week at number one, the most influential artist in black music. Number two, the perpetual Kentucky recruit. <laughs> number three, the retired or unretired 2K Legends. Number four, Sirius Malone. That's post Malone, but we call him Sirius Malone because he wanted to be because he wants to be taken more seriously. <laughs> uh, number five, Kendrick Lamar. Number six, Bruno Mars. Number seven, Chris Stapleton. Number eight, Camila Cabello, aka the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony. Number nine, our friends from Gwinnett, and number ten, love and hip hop legend Cardi B. Justin Timberlake still can't crack that top ten, but Chris Stapleton. But Chris Stapleton. <laughs> Chris Stapleton made it in there. I'm not going to lie, though. I love the lumberjack look. Yeah. Justin Timberlake. Oh, yeah. He's, well, have you seen his, so I don't know, have you seen his video with Chris Stapleton? No. <laughs> yeah, because Chris Stapleton definitely has the lumberjack. Like, Chris Stapleton looks like he cuts down trees, he drinks Jack. <laughs> like, I saw the album cover of Justin Timberlake, and I was like, is this popular? Is Man this of the thing? Woods. Yeah. It, it, we got to look more some, rugged now? He's, I don't know what he's, so he's. Apparently, like, I guess everyone thought it was going to be like a country style album. Yeah. But he said Man of the Woods was like his son's name is Woods or something like that. So his, his son's name like is something for Man of the Woods. Yeah. So it wasn't actually a country album. It's just I looked at it and it made me think that like this had to be some type of musical departure just because it looks so dramatically different. But I'm not going to yeah. lie. I, I mean, the I closest thing he did was the song with Chris Stapleton, which had country overtones. Mm -hmm. Um 
And I mean, like honestly, if you hear Chris Stapleton, he just he doesn't really sound country. Mm-hmm. Like he he sounds more like a soul singer. But I just think he likes country music, so it's like a soul singer singing over country music. All right, man, whatever works for you. I mean, he's a phenomenal singer, um, but he just he doesn't sound country. Uh, just let Joe, despite that uh, crazy shot we saw mm-hmm. with the Michigan State, did they lose? They still lost. Oh my god! <laughs> so to set that up, we're watching before um, we you know we start recording. There's Michigan State playing Syracuse. Um, Michigan State. You know, um, got on the wing. He goes for a three-point shot. It gets blocked. He catches it and, like, throws it back. Like, before he hits the ground, just throws it back in. Shot goes in. At, <laughs> right at, at the buzzer. Oh, man. <laughs> and then they lost. They can't crack that Syracuse zone, man. God. No one can seem to. It's ridiculous. Well, man. that's why bayheim has been there for 40 years. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, not a lot happened in, in music news this week. Um, not to say that Craig Mack passing, oh, it's not a whole lot, but yeah, um, nothing noteworthy. Uh, you can check your whatever site you like going to to find out who's going out on tour. Um, I don't know if I mentioned Childish Gambino and Ray Shermer are going on tour, but because it's in, a, they're going to be at um, in Duluth. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. <laughs> I bet it's going to be a good show. Childish Gambino, at least Ray Shermer. Uh, it might miss. be. I think they they might be a fun show only because I don't think they're like some of these other SoundCloud SoundClick rappers to where they have a DJ that plays the song with the vocals and then they rap over the vocals. Yeah, ditch parade around stage and <laughs> is Charles Gambino going to continue going? I heard something he said that he was going to stop doing music. Yeah, this his next album will be his last. He said, but he's going to do one more. Yeah, yeah, which right. is sad because I love the last record. Yeah, so, Awaken okay. My Love was very good. And he's um, doing one with Chance the Rapper, so there might be a, a collaboration album. I mean, too. I'm sure it's difficult because he's doing, he's like producing, and he's in Atlanta the, the show. Yeah, and so I'm sure, I'm hoping it's not like the last record. Who knows what he'll do? Music. I mean, I, he might go in a completely different direction. I mean, yeah. no one saw. I mean, I was still, I, like I said before, the first time I heard this record. I kept waiting for the <laughs> rapping to come. <laughs> like I played the whole track. Like, all right, he's going to start now. Yeah, he's going to start now. He's not going to start rap. He's not going to rap on this. Rapping. Not rapping at all. <laughs> then I just went and read. I was like, oh, this is a funk album. This is electro funk. Okay. That's what's up. And I mean, but for what it was, it was very good. Um, I just wanted another because the internet. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I just, that's what I wanted because I, I got into him too late, even though you've been into him since God knows when. Yeah, I just, well, he's making mixtapes while he was still at NYU. Yeah, I just was, I'm slow. I'm very slow. Like, I mean, hell, like. And those were more, those were more, I'm going to say comedy, but a little bit more satirical, his early mm, stuff, or no? No, I think he was, he was trying, he, like, he really was, you know, putting in effort. Uh, he sounded, he was, and he said this, he was trying to sound like Lil Wayne at the time. Mm-hmm. So everything's very nasal. So that could be satirical. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think, I think that's one thing, like, whenever But he was rapping artists. about, like, hoodies and. Yeah. yeah you know, Tamagotchis and uh, shoes. Yeah. I, mean, you, I feel like your first album is always, or first time chance of music is usually you leaning on your influences anyway. Yeah. So I could very well see that. But mm-hmm. I liked, I like, I don't know, I liked what he's been doing. I loved the last record. And I was yeah. like, I was sad to hear if he wasn't going to do music anymore, but I also understand dude's probably super, super busy. Yeah. yeah he's doing star Wars. He's yeah, got I his know. own TV show. Uh, I will see. I will see that. He I, looks awesome in that movie. <laughs> in which one? In Star Wars? Yeah, he looks pretty cool. I'm scared. 
No, I, I know he'll do great. I just don't know if, more than anything, as a huge Star Wars nerd, I don't know if I want to see anybody else play Han Solo. I, I saw the trailer and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't buy the, I don't can't, can't, Who's playing him? Some bloke. Yeah. I don't I don't know his name. I, I know, know he, he doesn't I'm sure it'll be a fun movie. I'll be there opening night and like and everything. I just I'm sure it'll be it'll be fun, but I just I just don't know if it'll be Han Solo. Like it's just For some reason I thought it was the guy who played uh uh from Baby Driver. I don't think it's him. It's a guy named Alden and I cannot say his last name. No. Ein Heinrich Heinrich. Yeah. Um So they're still trying the let's get some unknown or someone who's only done a couple of things to play, you know, one of the more iconic roles in cinema. And Basically. don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't, like, I would, I don't envy the dude's position because either you do a Harrison Ford impression and then uh, <laughs> you, get, sure you get killed for that, you get killed for that, <laughs> or you go in a different direction, but then you don't feel like the character because that character is so embedded. It's pretty much just Harrison Ford if he was in space. <laughs> like George Lucas was not giving good direction. No. <laughs> Listen, kid. This is all that is why George Lucas has only directed. I think he did. He did the first one. That was it. He did American Graffiti, and then he did Star Wars. Did he do Indiana Jones, or was that Spielberg? I think that was Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. But he he was a producer for that. He pretty much was a producer, like pretty much after that. But and then like Star Wars again. So that's about. <laughs> like, he didn't. He didn't do any other Star Wars. There were no other other Star Wars. Oh, it's oh, like, do I want oh, to? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those don't count. Yeah, My bad. Those don't count. Oh, come on! I liked. So I liked the struggle that was Revenge of the Sith. Um, the Clone Wars. I could take it or leave it, but I actually liked like the the fight with General Grievous. I liked the the you were supposed to bring balance to the Force, not destroy it. Like I cried. Okay, I didn't cry, but like that was <laughs> Lucas is. I love his ideas. Mm-hmm. Just sometimes the right, like so, you're right. The themes, yeah, were amazing. Like seeing the 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 downward slope of Anakin and seeing how those like ties, you know, turned him away from the path. Like all those are great ideas. It's just the execution and some of the writing was terrible. No, I agree. Like Christian Hayden or Hayden Christian, I can't even say his right his Hayden name right. Yeah, he ruined his straight ruined that dude's career. Like he just like stone face sand. <laughs> it's so coarse. You're just like. I hate sand. I hate it sand. It gets into everything. Dude. Like, who says that? I'm sorry. <laughs> like I'm he, a diehard Star Wars fan. Hayden Christensen has been trying to come back for, like, the last 15 years. It's not his fault. He's a, I'm not saying he's a great actor, but he's much better than he... You know what I mean? Like, he is a better actor than those. He just had nothing. I don't know, man. I saw Jumper. <laughs> All right, I don't know. Fair. Fair. Always, always the first thing I think about with Jumper is that role was first offered to Eminem. Oh God, that's what they thought. Okay, well, you know, they've been trying to get Eminem to act because he was supposed to be in Southpaw too, right? Was he? I think that at least it was written with him, his story probably, in mind. Yeah. But instead of rapping, boxing, like it's a similar tale of his life. But then he just ended up doing the soundtrack instead. Yeah. Okay. I knew he was, was Cinderella Man on that? No. Okay. They had a phenomenal. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, that'll do it for our music news or whatever you want to call it. Slash this. introducing <laughs> people. <laughs> All right. So, Ben, tell us about your earworm of the week. So I'm that type of UNC fan where if we're not a number one seed, I say that we're being doubted. We're the dark horses. We're a number two seed. It's not number one. <laughs> I believe it was um, Ricky Bobby that said, if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> he did say that. He said that. <laughs> he said that. Um, and so, I mean, I don't, I, I honestly don't think we have a shot at winning the title this year, but I like to believe every year that we do. We might. 
we, you never know. We got, and a, so, we, got, we got seniors. So as a result, we are the Dark Horses, <laughs> um, which is my earworm, <laughs> Dark Horses by Switchfoot. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. All right, so we'll play Dark Horses by Switchfoot, and we'll be right back. That is Dark Horses by Switchfoot from their album Vice Versus. Yeah, they still exist. They're still doing stuff. <laughs> Some people are like, I haven't heard of, like, Pat's like, I haven't heard them for a while. Like, yeah, they still do stuff. They're to just not fair, as popular. We should we use Patrick as a barometer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all popular music, so that's not fair to Switchfoot. Yeah, I heard this randomly. I do remember the first time I heard this. It was, I was going to Mississippi with Chris to see other Chris graduate from Mississippi college and this played. And I kind of said the same thing. Like, oh, wow. Switchfoot's still around. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. Like I was like, after I dared to move, they disappeared off the face of the earth. As far as I was concerned. Yeah. That was like what? High school, college time. That was college. For us at least. Yeah. God, there was a bunch of bands that came up in like the late nineties. Like Hoobastank. There was like, I was, dude, I was watching the reason. Because they the the reason and same direction are like the same like it's a, it's a story. So like as soon as we get done, I'm gonna watch it to make to see it. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm about that right now. Like, I'm <laughs> there are a bunch, man. They just they just disappeared. But yeah, because I mean, live instruments aren't cool anymore. No. So it's like you know, like I play guitar. All right, get in line. Like with the, <laughs> it kind of sucks. Like, does it? Like, can you connect it to a computer or something? Yeah. Do you have a MIDI. Does it? Is it a MIDI player too? Is it a MIDI guitar player? MIDI guitar. <laughs> like, no, man. This is it's actual six strings, man. It's a guitar. Like, man, I got time for that. I can do that on my keyboard. That's, that's good, man. Let it go back underground. Not not every everything can like come in waves. Like you can let electronic music be at the forefront. Let let rock kind of sit in the back a little bit, and somebody will come up and say, "Okay, this is the case for mm-hmm. you know this." But form what of about music. the people who are suffering, Patrick? <laughs> sitting in the back of a van, who was think had to sell their Rolls Royce? Yeah, they had to sell. It. Well, I mean, I that. Uh, well, I talked about that. Uh, there's this video with David Guetta playing like uh a set before a, a soccer game it was like one of the big tournaments on a, not the world cup it was like a euro league cup or something and someone was doing like a voiceover of the video he's like all right here comes the drop and then he just he just like turned something and there's the drop and uh-huh. then he, he turns it like okay now watch me press this button and then he's, <laughs> <laughs> like that was a david getta set it's funny it's i mean hey power to him they found they found the they found the something. They found the formula. I'm just jealous I didn't find it. You you know who I think I, I feel like we are personally responsible, and I'm a little proud that they've kind of gone away. Who the Nickelback of EDM? I actually kind of like the Jade Smokers, so <laughs> that upsets me that they're not here anymore. I still I still you know in, in the grand pantheon of songs in history, um, closer has got to be top fifteen. That, that was a joke, people. That was a joke. <laughs> Someone just turned off the Silence. Facebook Live. Someone just turned it off like, this crap. <laughs> no, I, I like the song, though. I, I, don't, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people think it is. Like, it, is, it's, it gets the job well, done. If you, if you hear that song and that song only, it's probably not so bad. But then you hear But if you listen else, to another song by James Wilkers. It's like, it's the same song. <laughs> Like that video that uh Yeah, the guy who was making fun of he was making fun of chain smokers and he just like put random lyrics together <laughs> over an EDM beat and I have fooled several people and made them think it was a chain smoker song. I, I never personally got into EDM, but I was driving with a buddy of mine who went down to Florida to go to college and kinda mm-hmm. came back and he used to be a metalhead and he kinda changed and went the whole EDM route. And we were in the car and he put it on and he was like, You know what, this isn't as good without the drugs. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> And he was like, "So what's going going on with metal since I left?" And I was like, well, I can't, I can't attest to the, I can't attest to the drugs, but uh, this is what's been, this is what's going down. Oh, uh, so uh, with our topic, we started the show with "Enter Sandman" by Metallica, and it is from their um, would it be seminal album or their breakthrough? Like mainstream breakthrough album, maybe I, would, yeah, I was gonna say like I don't know if it's a seminal. I mean I know some some not not this Metallica fan, but I know some Metallica fans that would fight you over that. <laughs> but like you know, you know that's you know Injustice for All or Master of Puppets, um, or even the more recently Death Magnetic. Um, but I think as far as like when it comes to Metallica records, this is one of the ones that I think everyone can kind of agree on. It's just like you know the casual fan. And the hardcore fan can kind of be like, okay, we can talk about this one. Because the casual fan is not going to listen to Master of Puppets. They're just not. <laughs> it's a great connective tissue yeah. to metal, the metal community and 
popular musical cultural and yeah. just also cultural like it's a touchstone for pretty much the 90s i think yeah as far yeah. as as far as hard rock hard rock and metal so yeah, and i feel like it did kind of define so i'm mean, of course it's the first record they work with bob rock on mm-hmm. and it i think it defines their sound for the 90s so when you think of because i mean like honestly you can almost get metallica load and reload almost kind of mixed up if you're not really careful like you know you can be like was that on load reload or 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 the self type like you can get it mixed up so it's like it kind of you know defined there because they worked with him for the next what three four records until they got to um saint anger which a lot of you know metallica fans uh that's another one of those Now, see, I I one like of, another Saint one of those Anger. two kinds of people albums. <laughs> I, I have a respect for Saint Anger in the sense that I don't think it was an album. <laughs> no, I, I mean I mean this in a respectful way. Like they were coming off of James Hetfield was in rehab. They were just kind of mm-hmm. thrown in a room. They weren't ready to be a band yet. And when you watch the documentary, uh, some kind of monster, you clearly see that they were still arguing. Like they hated it. They couldn't be in the studio together. Oh, wow. They really weren't gelling well together. Bob Rock was just trying to keep them together. Like Bob Rock played bass on that album. Bob Rock's a ter- like this bass tone is terrible. <laughs> it's ugh. and it just but he was just like it's more of like a demo of just kind of like getting them through a point in their career. Like yeah. if it was up to them, I think they all would have walked away. Why he played? Why didn't they get a hired gun? Oh, oh, Call, that's a callback. That's a callback right there. <laughs> Jason Newsted was heavy in that documentary too. Mm. He was. I actually liked that. Yeah, no, I like that documentary too. We just so we have a running joke of how in that documentary Billy Joel is the devil. It's a demon. Mm-hmm. It's the devil. Alice <laughs> Cooper is God. Like Alice Cooper is just like I'm they okay love with, Alice Cooper. Yeah, I'm okay with I'm okay with everything about the sentence. Like it's just like they're like yeah, Alice Cooper. Like I was down and out on drugs. Husband, you know, my wife was beating me. Then I met Alice Cooper, and you know, he showed me the way. He's so kind to us, yeah, and he treats us like people. <laughs> Billy Joel. Oh no, no, no. Billy might want to put his feet up. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, does, he does not come out looking good on that. Yeah, he yeah, did not. Right. I wonder if he's watching this like, what the hell, no, man? Like, right. I'm not that bad. Like, or maybe he talking? is. Or, 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 that's the thing, though. You know or maybe he is. Yeah. I think he is. And that's I would not be surprised either. Because, like, 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 you know, at the end of the tour, we just, you know, I went home. And then a few months later, I hear near, a new Billy Joel song on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> And you just go to Billy Joe. Nah, I didn't call him. No. no. I didn't say you just fire people without calling him? Yeah. What are you, an FBI director? Alice. Ooh. Count it. Oh. Oh. That was very topical, very relevant. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's yeah, but no, um, I'm surprised it didn't get a hired gun. Because that was, so that was the album they got Robert, um, how do you say his last name? Robert Trujillo. Trujillo. From Suicidal Tendencies. Yes. But I think it goes back to the fact that they didn't want to be a band together. You don't bring somebody in that environment. If you're just gonna be in the middle of fighting, like mm-hmm. if they're just gonna, like if they're all just fighting and storming out, you're just paying a guy to sit there and like you know be awkward. Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of they were just like we couldn't, they couldn't like even get themselves together. So it's like don't bring if Bob Rock can. Yeah, he technically played bass, so it's like yeah. he just held it down. But I think that's indicative to the fact that that really wasn't them. Like that mm-hmm. was them just trying to power through a time that they didn't even want to be around each other. And they came out with some cool ideas, but ultimately it's not. I like it to me. It's just like a demos of them just going through, but it was just kind of like they finished a song. And they're like, okay, it's it's done. It's they, done. They didn't yeah. try to rework it or keep going because there's a lot of great ideas and riffs, but it just doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out time. There's a um, uh, before we you know we'll we'll circle back around right. the back <laughs> album, but um, there was a video of someone took the took Master of Puppets and put the 
infamous Saint Anger drums. Snare drum. <laughs> I actually don't hate it as much as everybody else, but at the same time, it is bad. It's a bad product. But I, at the same time, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to like, let's just, because they knew they weren't going to rewrite these songs or really mm-hmm. work on them. They're like, let's just, this is like the first time we're getting together. It will be a garage rock band. Yeah. You know, get back to our, the roots. And it just, it sounds like a garage rock. It sounds like nobody tuned the drum. <laughs> so it's like, we're going for a dirty, dirty off tune sound. It's like, well, you got it. So, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I go back and listen to it occasionally and there's a lot of great stuff on there, but there's just also a lot of, uh, I can't. No, you're right. It's 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 basically an album of first drafts. It made it made load and reload look amazing. Yeah, it did. I go back to listen to load and reload, and just I'm like, wow, there's actually a lot of really great stuff in here. Because I was again, (laughs) when I was a teenager, was very much like, oh, load and reload. That's Metallica's like you know softer stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I like the ride the lightning. (laughs) Because as much as Ben painted me as as an open minded metalhead, I am, but I still had my you know. That's the softer stuff. You know I mean? But kind of going back to it, it's like there's a lot of Black Album and Load yeah. and Reload. There's a lot of great, really bluesy, dirty like style yeah. that is different to the thra- what thrash metal was in the 80s. But there's a lot of great feel and mood that I think Bob Rock actually helped bring out. Because the mm-hmm. drum sound, Lars is not a great drummer, as <laughs> the metal community loves to point out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a running joke in metal. But yeah. is he better than Ringo? <laughs> He's like the Ringo of, oh, of Metallica yeah. at the same time. But I, one thing I think Metalheads miss is Lars has a great ear for song structure. Yeah. Like he's, his influence is not just the drums. It's, it's arrangement, the, the vision of the album, the vision of the band in general. And I think him working with Bottom Rock, he just has this just absolute slam. Yeah. Like when you hear some of the tracks, you just hear that like doom. Like it got, it was a thicker drum sound. It was. Like his drums sounded thinner and, the, and, and, the, and all of a sudden like, you know, that very wide open, like he had a snare like the size of this table. Like, and he's like, doom, doom. It's got a loud thump to it. And like, that was his sound from then on. Yeah. And that was, it was directly due to, to Bob Rock. And obviously he worked with Motley Crue and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <just laughs> to us in the metal community. <laughs> I made the sign of the cross for those of you not familiar. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's that that sound that kind of opened up, and you feel it on the Black Album. Like it's got this massive sound. So even though it's a lot simpler song structure and catchier, there's also a heaviness on this mm-hmm. record that was not found, especially on Injustice for All, which was produced very thin. And there's absolutely you can't even hear the bass guitar. Yeah. Now you have this weight that's very Sabbathy in its type of way. So, mm, so funny you mentioned that. Yes, mm-hmm. no, it is. So I mean, like it, it does kind of call back to like you know something like maybe. Like you mentioned, like the early Sabbath records, Tony Iommi playing like very, you know, fuzzed out, heavy guitar playing. So, you know, to, to mention the track outside, so we sort of enter the Sandman, Sad But True. That's a heavy riff. Like that's, and that's a riff really. So, and I mean, like, you know, not to really go there, but Kid Rock brings it back later, uses it on a, on a rap rock song and kind of shows you like, you know, 10, 15 years later, this song was so heavy that it still sounds heavy now. Like, they didn't have to tune down to drop A or whatever <laughs> to get a heavy sound. Like, you have this sound, it's slow, it's plodding, and it's just heavy. And there, and that's a, that's the thing that's, I think, really great about this record. But it's also, like, the roots of metal is not just your, your fast, more punk-influenced mm-hmm. stuff. It really is in that 60s blues and stoner. Like, it would kind of become stoner rock. Mm-hmm. But that really, like, blues-centric rock, like your Deep Purples, mm-hmm. Cream, Hendrix, stuff like that, is really kind of what you know 
what the what Tony Iommi was playing with. Now, obviously, it's kind of funny Tony Iommi would tune down because he accidentally cut off his, his finger. finger. Yeah. <laughs> so to make it easier in a factory accent, to make it easier, he toned down his guitar and he got a darker tone. And it was kind of they kind of liked it when they started playing some of their riffs. People would kind of perk up because it had this darker tone. And metal would kind of take that, but so we've always had this attraction to something that sounds heavy. Mm-hmm. And of course, you go into you know underground or extreme metal where it's like there's death metal and grindcore and all this like really aggressive stuff. But sometimes just a basic heavy just sound like mm-hmm. you, like sad but true. You can put that up against almost a lot of extreme metal, and it's like man, this is that might be faster. Or there's a guy screaming about murder on mm-hmm. it, but sad but true <laughs> will come out. You'll be like. You know, you could be, but it'll come out sounding heavier. It'll yeah. Be like there's just a swagger to it. There's there's a weight that you just can't. Yeah. Yeah. I and I think that opening chord progression helps as well. So I mean, like the dun dun it's dun. It's so dun, fun to play. But then the dun 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 dun, dun like it sounds like impending doom. <laughs> like it sounds like like something's coming, and it just it just works. And then of course you know, Lars is cut 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 like the loud. The 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 like I said the the snare that sounds like the size of this table, a, a thick drum sound like it's just a really and and bass yeah. like you hear bass which was missing it seemed like for, for from a like, long time from a lot of Metallica albums yeah that, that was over some pettiness though wasn't it some of it was so I know like when after Cliff died they they yeah they Lars agreed. did turn his bass down is like yeah but I also think it was generally because it was just Headfield and and Lars doing the being there for the mixing. So it's like you can always tell who mixed an album because it's the the ones who sound the yeah. most. So you the drums pop through and I think they were going for a more tight guitar attack. So when the bass is just kind of like mm. it, it kind of all encompassing, they just kind of turned it down. They just turned it down a little too much. But Justice for All has a very tight guitar attack. Yeah. And so I think that's why I don't think it was malicious in any way. But just when you hear it, it yeah. just kind of it sounds thin and it sounds like a razor, which kind of has a cool effect. But so there's no bass. On is it. that the reason why Jethro Tull won that Grammy? <laughs> Jethro Tull had bass on the lap. Oh. Got a little bit flute. Only Metallica had a flute. <laughs> flute metal. It's the future. Flute. <laughs> uh, but this was the album after that controversial Grammy loss, um, and it was a clear departure of their previous style considered thrash metal um i guess what would what makes something thrash metal over some other kind of subgenre thrash pretty much was at this time especially in, in music you kind of ha- started having um kind of like this they called it the new wave of british heavy metal so you had uh judas priest iron maiden motorhead so you're taking the sabbath flag and you're speeding it up a little bit a little bit more up tempo and especially bands like Motorhead, you would almost listen to it and you're like, I can see a little bit of metal. I can see a little bit of punk in it too. So just a little bit of that that energy and Iron Maiden would take it and kind of open up the scope and be more epic songwriting mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But the very early stuff was just a little bit more up-tempo. Thrash took one step, put, took one more foot and put it in the punk uh, world. Kind of, but not just punk as we see it today. Like when I say punk, everybody's thinking Green Day and Blink yeah. too. <laughs> when I say punk, we're talking about like Minor Threat, The Misfits, DRI, some of the stuff that you might even call somewhat hardcore. Mm-hmm. And so when you say thrash, you're th- you're talking a little bit more of a rhythmic, uh, like a faster style, but also a little bit more rhythmic in the guitar playing. A lot of more palm mutes that kind of creates that heavy sound. When you hear that chug sound, like that's kind of where you 
place the palm of your hand and you put it on the guitar to kind of mute the sound and kind of get that that uh, that style. So you're kind of getting a more rhythmic, faster riff, and really it's taking a lot of that punk energy and that uh, that would come out of those bands and mixing it with your Judas Priest, so that tr- more traditional metal style. So that's kind of where the DNA of, of thrash metal came from, and it's really evident when you look at their first couple records, and mm. of course this one being a departure because you're going to live in that more mid-tempo. Like, yeah. There's a couple like riffs that are a little bit faster, but usually even when they speed up the riff, Lars is behind that with a doom. Yeah. Like he's staying in the four four as opposed to going um, uh, up tempo like punk style of drumming, which is like that good at good at like you know what I mean that yeah. Well, so even, they always stay grounded on this record in a four four more mid tempo beat, which was a which was a, a variation for the band. Yeah. Um, so, well, you mentioned that Bob Rock had worked with Motley Crue, and <laughs> it, apparently, it's Metallica was impressed with his work in his that. production style. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And as you can tell, like. Like he just has a way of, I mean, especially with Tommy Lee's drums too, also has a very big bombastic style. Giving that to Lars was was huge in really making this record because he doesn't do anything necessarily flashy, but when he does have his like moments, the really cool feels, as we said, the you know da 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 da, mm-hmm. it really pops through. Whereas on previous Metallica albums, if you were listening to Master Puppets, like you're really not remembering any of the drum fills. Mm-mm. Like you can't hum. Or even remember any of those of those parts, but just kind of simplifying his style, making sure because really playing to his strengths. Like, yeah, he's got this pop to him, this kind of big uh, style, kind of akin to like a Pantera. Mm. And so yeah, very, very much Vinny Vinny Paul. So it's, so it's um, by taking that strength and kind of emphasizing. I think that's why they wanted to work with Bob Rock. And I also knew that I, they've said previously that even before they chose Bob Rock, they wanted to go in a simpler direction just because. They couldn't even record all of Injustice for All like in one take. Like they were cutting up the songs and mm. you know, doing this because they were yeah. just getting so epic in their songwriting that they were like, "We're playing half these songs, and halfway through, the crowd's getting bored. <laughs> we <laughs> want to bring it down a little bit." What's, so. what's interesting with that is that they, if they were doing things separately and trying to chop it all together, Bob Rock wanted them to actually record stuff together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> rather than and but that ended up being a problem <laughs> that ended up being like something hard to do yeah uh he said he was expecting production to be easy uh because okay yeah <laughs> let's have them okay we'll all record together and um we'll record we'll record everything together and you know we'll have james headfield do some harmonic vocals <laughs> and apparently that was very difficult um, and he also uh, wanted Headfield to write better lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an interesting point, because this is also another departure for the band, is at, at this point, the lyrics have been very metaphorical and about other things, and this was the first time the band took a personal approach. Like yeah. All the lyrics on this record are incredibly like about Headfield or personal experiences or personal relationships rather than your... You know, Injustice for All was largely about the establishment. Master mm-hmm. Puppets was largely about addiction. Yeah, this was the first time it's kind of looking, and I think that's also another reason why it kind of gained uh, some commercial success. I think people can relate. Like yeah. even the not popular tracks, like Holier Than Now. I think mm. we all know that one person that's kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I, so. I it just had a more relatability, and I think that kind of came from Bob Rock really challenging Headfield to be like, you know, really what's you know what I mean? Yeah, you can make another song about, you know, the government or like every other <laughs> punk band out there, but really trying to draw out stuff that was really personal to him. I think Bob Rock really helped that and 
I think it took it to the next level for the band. That's something I would think that uh, that Rick Rubin would do. That does sound like something Rick Rubin would do. That would be uh, interesting to hear him produce some Metallica album. Yeah. <laughs> He'd probably make him write, like, yeah, un- like Unforgiven, not write it again. Write it again. Right. Like the third time. <laughs> um, also reading here that the album was remixed three times, and that cost a million dollars. Oh, my God. Um, and the production coincided with Ulrich, Hammett, and Newstead all getting divorced. So that is one part in the <laughs> behind the music that, you know, where they said like, that was a very difficult time when they were making that record. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the ones where you have the most difficult time is, are typically the ones that you come out with the best. I mean, we talked about rumors on one album, on one uh, podcast where, you know, everyone in the band is either divorced or, like, seeing someone else or cheating or something like that. You come out with this classic 70s album. Same thing here, you know. Granted, I don't think they were, you know, no one was dating each other, no. as far as we know, in the band. Um, and like you mentioned, so you, you do get these introspective lyrics. You get a song like The Unforgiven, which he has, what, three of those now? Yeah, there's three Unforgiven. Yeah, un- three Unforgivens. I've never, I don't think I've seen a band do that, like where they take a song and across albums. Like, let's make another one. Unforgiven Part 2. You got it, man. Let's do it. <laughs> I actually was, I was okay with Unforgiven Part 2. Part no, I three, like all three of them. I like three, all three. Let's say the third one is probably my least favorite, but the guitar solo on that one yeah. is phenomenal. So I give it a pass. For yeah. <laughs> um, and so then thinking of a song like Nothing Else Matters, you know, like the the quintessential power ballad, maybe you don't really expect it. I mean, like you could look back to things like Fade to Black. So, you know, so they, mm. they have the... The history of doing it, but like not like this. Like yeah. Fade to Black, of course, has the in- the ending where you know it's just a guitar solo that goes on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters. Song like has more of a song structure. Like it, you know, it has your 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 chorus, your verse, your chorus. The solo goes back into a verse, and then kind of fades out. And yeah. you're just kind of like, well, they don't really they don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's like I think they were very much more aware of especially with Bob Rock being there, a more of a, a producer's ear playing mm-hmm. together. They had a little bit more, because usually like songs almost, especially on the justice for all were very much alike, almost like the fade to black. So yeah. like, the song would just go on. One. Eventually they would just come go. Yeah, <laughs> just keep going. And from a metalheads point of view, sometimes we're really like, we really enjoy that aspect mm-hmm. of it. We really like kind of like a little bit of a prog nature to some of our music when it works occasionally. Mm-hmm. Justice for All was going a little too far. I think they, when they took a step back, they're like, okay, how can we get in, make our point, get out? So I think there was a little bit more attention paid to the actual song structure. And- yeah, because the ending of one goes on forever. Oh, but it's so good. It is. Now, now don't get me wrong, though. No, I do love it. And yeah. if anytime I'm listening to it and, and, and the ending starts, like the machine gun is what mm-hmm. I call it, and the machine gun palm muting and everything, I'm always surprised. <laughs> it's, just, it's always awesome. But then I'm just like, all right, all right, you can stop now. I'm like... Yeah, it- but yeah. it's, at the same time, it's like a fine line because if you if you do a style like that and you and you don't hit it as tight or as a cool ending, like mm-hmm. then you're at the point where the audience is going, "Is this done yet?" Like you said, that's mm-hmm. a great example and a really great song. But even sometimes you're still kind of like, "Okay, yeah." Even with a great song, I kind of wish it was done at this point. <laughs> but then imagine if you did it subpar, then it's like, "Oh well, now I wish this was done like wish four you minutes never ago." Did it? Like- yeah. <laughs> so yeah, especially with like more. And there's a lot of metal bands like that that kind of delve into the prog like ten minute songs, mm-hmm. and you're just like, if you don't if you don't do this fantastic, if you're not like mind blowing, then like you're gonna bore half the audience, and you're gonna t- like you're you taking could, a risk. You could like, I, is there something wrong with doing the radio edit at, at, for the live show? Yeah, there is. There is. 
I said that as a live music <laughs> fan. Like, I don't want the radio edit. And that's why I, I go to the live show to see you do something. Like, because honestly, it, it kind of depends. Like, sometimes, like, I really just want to hear the song. Okay, not the 10-minute version, but maybe, like, the seven-minute version. But then sometimes sure I want to hear a song. Like, I want to hear something. And I'm doing something with my hands. Like, saying I want to hear the song. Like, it's huge. So it really depends. And so that's kind of what I like. So one of my first introductions to Metallica was Metallica S&M. Like I would see, of course, I would see them on VH1 Classic and Headbangers Ball. That's, like the, I would live, see, that's the live one with yeah, Michael Kamen. With Michael Kamen and the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. Like, you know, like the way in which they did some of these songs. Like, you know, I'd never heard Master of Puppets. That's my first time hearing Master of Puppets. I'd never heard um, Hero of the Day. That's my first time hearing Hero of the Day. Um, Call of Cthulhu. Like all the, like, really half of their, you know, yeah. discography. That was my first time hearing it. And, Hearing them, it was it was different. It was awesome. A lot of times, they didn't just go out and just play the song. They they put a little extra. It was it was awesome. So yeah, I want to hear something a little different sometimes. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of funny because there's there. I think as a band, you need to have those like long epics or not. I would say if you're that type of band. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you also need to have the Enter Sandman in your discography because mm-hmm. you need to be able like once the audience has this ten minute epic and everybody enjoys it. You're gonna need to mix it up. You're gonna yeah. need to punch them with a quick. You know what I mean? Because if you, especially if you have th- ten minute songs, it's like, well, then you're playing a half hour opening set. You play three songs, and people Basically. are bored. And if people aren't into that, they're bored for half of mm-hmm. it. So it's like, I think that's why you see the Black Album following Injustice for All. I think that's why you see the Hunter following um, Crack the Sky mm-hmm. from Mastodon Reference. And I, and it's happened with a number of bands that I can think of. It's like we played this big epic and we play it live, and half the audience is looking at us like, <laughs> when is this song gonna end? So they come out with the with the album that even though it might not be as well received amongst you know the metal community, mm-hmm. it'll go. Some of the tracks will go over well live and kind of work work better in the live setting. Mm. So that's always something that I've, it's been interesting. No, yeah, I agree. Um, reading here also that uh, well with their change in sound, of course, uh, Lars Ulrich tried to avoid the progressive Pertian paradiddles. <laughs> that's what's quoted here. Uh, He's being so the, Danish, um, it hurts. <laughs> being a drum rudiment to the paradiddle. Okay. Yeah. I, I the only part of that I got was the Neil Peart reference. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, and he said that became, I guess, playing that way became boring to play live, and his sound was similar, more similar to Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones, and Phil Rudd from ACDC. And I can hear that. ACDC keeps the beat. Yeah. That's a drummer. He keeps the beat. Doesn't do too much else. Yeah. And that's been a, that's been a strength of Lars. I know, again, he's the punching bag of the metal community. He really is. It's not fair. But at the, but at the same time, it's like that's and that's what he does really incredibly well on this record. It's just holding it down, getting that big sound, and really just... Because the, the main attraction has always been the rhythm guitar. Yeah. Like, Headfield's ability to write... Like, there is not a filler riff on this record. You can almost take some of the riffs off this album and then keep going with them and make totally other songs. Yeah. Like that's just how proficient of, of it. They always say like, he's got the, like the best right hand in metal. Like, mm-hmm. so it just, it's one of the, it's one of those things where it's like, just let him like, like let that be the center stage. You don't mm-hmm. need a, a Neil Pert, for example, behind, behind Headfield, Like yeah. just hold it down, know your role in the band. And, and again, he's, he's proficient mainly in song structure. Yeah. You, you'll see that in, in like all their works and just vision. 
Have you ever heard any of the videos with Joy Jordison and um, Steve Lombardo playing? No. Yeah, there's there's a few. I, there's yeah, they there's performances where Lars was sick and they got them to come and yeah. play. I've, I've, I heard that obviously that, that happened and some people are like, oh my God, a real drummer behind without them. It's like, they're still just playing. <laughs> what he wrote, yeah. Yeah, but they're still just playing. It didn't wrote. sound that different. Yeah. Like everyone swears it sounds, I'm like, it, did, it just sounds like it Lars. Lars is a, yeah, Lars is a fine drummer. He's yeah. Just, yeah. Like, but I get he's it. apparently the Ringo of metal. Yeah. He, he gets the job done though. <laughs> but also I can, I can tell you like a whole bunch of drummers that are incredibly amazing and their band, they just, they're too flashy in the band and it takes away from the music. So like, yeah. it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. You need to find a good medium. That sounds like, uh, and I mentioned this before, whenever you see videos of some rapper on Funk Master Flex's show and you see some caption like, oh, watch him kill this freestyle. Like, I've never heard of this rapper. <laughs> He's never getting signed. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't he kill this songwriting? <laughs> kill, the, like, kill the songwriting. Um, what, uh, we're going to hear that it's debuted at number one in 1991 in 10 countries um, spent four weeks atop the Billboard 200 it was their first number one album uh, ended up spending 363 weeks on the chart making it one of the 10 longest running albums of all time yeah they were really at the height of their powers at this point point. and really and it's kind of funny um, on iTunes especially on the, the metal chart which those will never come close to the actual but it is hilarious even if you go to it like right now like the number generally the black album is at least three or four. Oh wow every every week it sells like 5,000 copies a week to this day and um everybody's everybody's kind of like so it becomes a run, another running joke in the metal community is if you come out with a new album can you beat Metallica's the black album because <laughs> just because you come out with a new album doesn't mean you necessarily get number one like I think Five Finger Death Punch right now is number two because mm. obviously they're metal, but they're also kind of more of a more popular mainstream. mainstream. Yeah. But like between the Buried and Me, which is a very respected metal band, they couldn't beat Metallica's The Black oh, Album. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of rough sometimes for for any uh, metal band. This is also one of those albums. It had five singles. Five singles. Yeah, five. Sandman, The Unforgiven. Over the course of a year and a half. Yeah, Nothing Else Matters, Wherever I May Roam, which is one of my favorites on there, and then Sad But True. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess my the the song that I heard the uh, Inner Sandman and the Unforgiven I heard those through the VH ones behind the music, yeah. um, and uh, I think the same also with Nothing Else Matters. But Inner Sandman has um, it is morphed into a jock jam, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> we're just waiting for like the remix with the with the techno beat behind it <sighs> that they've done. To, you know there is one. They, I wouldn't be surprised. I know they've done it to shoot me all Getta night long. I don't know if David made it, but I'm uh, sure there is one. <laughs> and Back in Black. Like, I've heard the, the techno remixes of those. I don't know if I want to hear a techno remix of Inner Sandman because it just works. Like, it just, you know. Yeah. It's like, and now your starting lineup is like, dun, 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 dun. Like, it's just like. Why have they never played the Super Bowl? I don't understand. Like, I know it's a popularity thing. I don't, stuff, I mean, I, I honestly. I've never been to a sporting event where I haven't heard Metallica. I think their greatest, the the time they could have done it would have been when it was give it to the old guys. So when the yeah. the Who, the Stones, Tom Petty, yeah. like if that continued, I think Metallica probably would have been in there. But then, but and I was gonna say like 
they're going to do something crazy, but Metallica has been there before. Like they've been in big spots, so they're not going to, yeah. they're the metal band you don't have to worry about, yeah. you know? They're just going to get out there, play the songs. Yeah. Two if of the songs. For some reason, Megadeth, I think yeah. I would, I feel like you'd have to worry about Dave Mustaine doing something. <laughs> Saying something like political. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I would, I would worry about, but like, I wouldn't worry about James Hetfield. Like he's, they're generally going to be yeah. somewhat. Okay. I didn't find a, um, a techno version. These don't oh, look like techno, God. but there is one by uh, the yeah. Vitamin String Quartet. Yeah, they do a lot of tribute albums. The yeah. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I've heard the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. What did they cover? Inner Sandman. What? Sandman. Okay, okay. Uh, Richard Cheese. Yeah, well, yeah, I've heard his. Yeah, <laughs> and um, if you can search on Spotify for really anybody. Um, you can find like the lullaby versions. Mm -hmm. So there's a lullaby kids. version of it. There's a ton of kids, kids metal albums. Mm -hmm. It makes me happy a little bit. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad it's there. I'm never going to listen to it. But. So is there a track on this, on this record? If you would had to choose, I mean, of course, you know, it's like, you know, choosing a favorite child sometimes. Um, is there an album, a, a song on this album, maybe that you like more than others? Uh, I feel like maybe, like, I don't know if I would like it more than sad, but true or, or, Enter Salmon, but first, as far as the tracks that maybe are less popular, mm -hmm. I feel like uh, the God That Failed has a okay. really like it's it's actually lyrical content. It's about um, Headfield's mother was going through. I don't want. I'm going to say cancer, but it might not be. But it was a a, oh, a fatal disease, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, yeah, it was cancer. It was cancer, and she did, she decided she wasn't going to go. She wasn't going to listen to the doctors mm -hmm. or listen to medicine, but she was going to pray. And she passed away shortly after. And, of course, and Hetfield in his mind is thinking, you know, if you only listened to the mm. doctors, maybe they could have done something, could have been here longer. Yeah. So that song is very much about like, the God that failed is kind of like, you know, her turning and how, her turning to who got and away from traditional medicine. Yeah. So it's a very, and again, it goes back to the very personal thing. And I don't think he directly comes out and says it. It's got a little bit more in the metaphor, but it always just came across super dark and super mm. real mm -hmm. and uh it's some of the later tracks and that's probably one of the, the, the highlights of this album is some of the later tracks are just as good it's consistent like all yeah. the way through like my friend oh misery the god that failed the struggle within even the ending wolf tracks and yeah. wolf and man is fantastic so it's really strong like all the way throughout on the back so i think but it's also like it's very front-loaded with the singles mm -hmm. like <laughs> so if you really get a chance to really dig into the back half i think that's one of the highlights there yeah What's one for you? Um, so wherever my roam is is really cool because I, I love that riff. The well, not it's more like a guitar lick really at the beginning, um, and then nothing else matters is probably one of my favorite songs of all time. Period, just because it's it's so beautiful, um, and it's not because I know I always I use this word a lot haunting. It's not haunting, but it's just a really well written song. Just just so good. But wherever I may roam is just a fun song. Like, like I just really like that. That's song. like the first time they really did like an anthemic arena yeah, rock vibe. Exactly, really, that is huge. It's yeah, yeah. Big, and I'm doing the thing with my hands again. <laughs> but like, no, it is a. It, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's a big, very big sounding song. Um, kind of like a, a fourth down, a third down song, or like a, you know, we're coming back from a timeout in the NBA Finals. You know, you play it to kind of get the crowd because it, it starts out with a, and then it kind of double times it a little bit. And yeah, that's that song's just so awesome. I hate that Rihanna um, sampled it. What did she sample <laughs> did it for? Really? I don't know, but it was awful. She sampled it. It was really bad. Hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, wherever I may roam? Or... Yeah. Well, we can find out which one that was. Um, I'm not familiar with all the titles. I was listening to it earlier, earlier today. 
uh, one thing that stuck out to me was one of the songs at the beginning, they uh, basically sampled um, the song America from West Side Story. Which song? Uh, I don't I don't know what the song is. Don't title. Tread on Me? I bet you it's Don't Tread on Me. It it, it might be if I... Um, or if I'm... It's like number six right after Where Am I Room? Yeah, this is it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I wasn't familiar with the titles. Like, they put a song from West Side Story on their album. <laughs> I think it's a song called uh, Red Lipstick. It's the song by Rihanna. And it, yeah. I mean, well, it's, very, it's become it. very popular. <laughs> and at least, and again, this is something that, like, the metal community likes to, for some reason, keep up on. Is it's very popular. I think it's like Kanye West and was and uh, Kim Kardashian were doing it where they started wearing metal t-shirts. That's yeah. a very popular thing everywhere. It's, yeah. That confuses the hell out of us as metalheads. So well, I have we're, we're somewhat okay with it, but we don't really know. <laughs> we're like, oh man, Slayer's awesome. You should listen to Slayer. But then we're like, but are, are you listening? Like, is no. Kanye a Slayer fan? Or is they it just don't. The sh- One of my friends oh, has a Nirvana shirt. She has no idea who they are. Yeah. And there was someone at um, at your job, Ben, that was wearing a Van Halen shirt. So yeah, or they always like come in. I've seen them wear Van Halen shirts, Def Leppard shirts. Um, I want to think someone had on a Soundgarden shirt. I really think someone had on a um, a Judas Priest shirt too. <sighs> like they just and I, I usually ask them like, "Oh man, you like you know said band?" They're like, "No, I don't know who they are." I will say I used to I used to work in a mall when I was in high school at a Chick Fil A, and I would get very angry because at the time it was very popular for people to have the Misfits patch, the Misfits skull, mm, and yeah. I would always see it, and I would always be like, "Oh, you know." I Misfits, and they're like, who? And it would drive me crazy. Skull. And I, Skull. Yeah. And I would drive, so I would go and I would complain to the owner, and the owner's like, whatever, Patrick's crazy. And then one time, <laughs> that, to, his, to his point, that's probably fair. But then one day he went out, and he was a huge Zeppelin fan. Mm. And there was a kid wearing the Zeppelin t shirt with the, you know, I forget which one it was, but, and he got really excited. And the kid was like, who? And he got really mad. I looked at him and was like, yes, that's how I feel. That's how yeah, it I've feels. I've definitely seen a Zeppelin shirt, and I, I think I've seen a Black Sabbath shirt as well. Yeah. And they have, they have no clue who these people are. Which I guess it's one thing is it's, it's a it's a testament to how great the art is. Yeah, like some of it, you're like I could see the Misfits skull, like it's just a cool skull. Yeah, it is. If it doesn't say the Misfits on it, then you might not legitimately know. I feel like the Zeppelin one has the big like that one. Yeah, they generally have the logo on it. So if you see the art and you just think the art's cool, like that's that's one thing. But especially the ones I've seen, like just the metal community is like, should we? How should we feel about this? Is this? There's <laughs> not a consensus because it, that like that was a time where I don't know if bands do this so much anymore, but like the logo is just as important as what your band looks like and sounds mm-hmm. like. Like you're a uh, you're a brand. Like the Metallica logo is instantly recognizable yeah Mm -hmm. um and you know there's several other bands like that like you mentioned zeppelin and uh when he said the skull i'm thinking the grateful dead skull for some reason (laughs) but okay i think i know which one you're talking about um 
but yeah, that was just one of those times to where it's it's instantly recognized. But I don't know if bands do that much anymore, or pay attention to their logo. I yeah, no, it is. And there's actually a couple metal blogs that do um, a contest every week of most unreadable metal logo <laughs> because they there's a, in black metal especially it's really popular to kind of have it with like almost like tree branches and leaves and they just it, you can't even read what the band's name is. It's just become comical at this point. Death metal does it too. But yeah, no, I think I think especially coming from those influences of those early bands in the seventies where the logo always looked sleek and everything. Mm-hmm. Your band is a brand and art is in general very important. And I, I it's one of those things that makes me kind of sad about like digital music. Cause I that's one of the reasons I still like vinyl is you just yeah. get this big like package, like the art, like especially like the black album, like you know like even though it's just black and there's like a little like you can see the the band's the name of the the band is on there, but it's kind of also in black, so it's yeah. kind of imprinted. But you just see, like, okay, this is darker than everything else. Like, you, mm-hmm. it gives you a little bit of a glimpse of what you're about to get into. It gets you in your mind in that mm-hmm. zone, and I feel like that's really important. I think, and I think that's still a, a major staple of metal still to this day. Um, now this, like, this was the album that made Metallica that brought into a broader audience, made him a household name. And some people can clearly see that. But then on the other hand, and I'm sure you've seen both sides of this, um, and it was mentioned here, it, it's compared to Bob Dylan going electric. <laughs> <laughs> to where it's... it's uh, Probably more violently. <laughs> but yes, there was. There was and there, and there, I think it's funny, is like ret- retrospectively, I think a lot of people, it's kind of toned down a little bit. But yeah, especially at the time, there was a, a large because they were the underground like golden child, mm. and now all of a sudden they made what is essentially almost working with Bob Rock, coming out with music videos, which wasn't normal for the time, even though they had done one quote you know the music video. Now they're kind of getting into more like mainstream. It, it definitely rubbed a lot of metalheads the wrong way, and a lot of people. I think a lot of people had more of a problem with it, but still stayed with the band mm-hmm. because they're not at the level they are now, even to this day, without still a core fan base yeah. of people supporting them. Did they lose some fans? Yes. But I generally think people still, even though it was a more commercial record and they probably wanted them to go back to the faster track, I think a lot of people just recognized how quality the album is and how good some of the songs are, that they're like, Master Puppets is still my favorite. But, you know, the Black Album's still, like, three, four on my favorite list. You know what I mean? I think even even now people recognize, like, how great of an album it is. But, yeah, at the time there was definitely a split. And that's where you saw a lot of people, especially in the 90s in general, there was a split where, like, people weren't listening to metal much other than metalheads. Yeah. So we went the opposite direction. And that's where you saw, like, the Florida death metal scene. That's where metal started to go, well instead of going more commercial, we're going to go the exact other way. Mm. We're going to take it further underground. We're going to make it. And that's where like really where extreme metal kind of came from. Do you think that, um, uh, the question just left. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you think that, uh, yeah, it's not coming back. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess on, yeah, on ahead. your, it might come back to me on your top 10 of favorite Metallica records, where might you rank this one? I go. It's it's got to be. That's the thing is, like, it's got to be four probably. I would okay. I would go. Master Puppets is always number one to me because it was my it's probably their best written and it's probably the it's the first one that I ever got. Mm-hmm. Ride the Lightning number two, and Justice for All three probably Black Album number four before Kill 'Em All. Even though Kill 'Em All is, some people might argue Kill 'Em All is you know it's more raw. It's, it's more it's more, it's really the beginning of thrash metal at that point. 
but I think just from the songs that stick with my head, the songs mm-hmm. that are like also just the cultural relevance, I probably got to put the black album at four. Okay, that would be how I. Okay, it just came, it just came back to me. <laughs> so uh, we had we had an episode uh, last year about um, artists selling out. <laughs> we did, yes. Uh, and and kind of like what what defines selling out. I have, I often have. I, I know in um, like musically, it would be like changing your sound to a to you know to connect with a broader audience, and like even like a long, long time ago, people might not realize this, but doing any kind of commercial as a hip hop artist was frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Like MC hammer did a taco bell commercial. I think it was frowned upon, <laughs> but I think I would frown upon it because it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he's stuck in a hotel and the fans are chasing him. So he goes out on the roof, okay. him and one of his, uh, one of his backup dancers and it's because they see the Taco Bell across the street, mm-hmm. but the fans are right at their door of the hotel room. So they sneak out and they get, they're up on the roof. The fans are still chasing. They get up to the roof. So how are they going to get the Taco Bell? Oh, yeah. They jump off the roof. Of course. And with their parachute pants, they just oh. float down. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. If, I, when you hear that pitch, you're just like, yeah, no, of course we're going to do that. That just sounds awesome. There's no way we're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get paid and we get to fly with our parachute pants. Uh, no. I'm and just... hopefully you get some free Taco Bell. Yeah. It's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Selling out. And especially that's one of the things that is, I guess, similar to the hip hop community. That's like a serious offense to the metal community. However, it's one of those things where I don't think that's the case with this album. Because I really think they were moving that way organically. Mm-hmm. I think they just were more open to the idea. They already wanted to shorten their songs. They mm-hmm. already wanted to move in this direction. And obviously them going out and getting Bob Rock, it wasn't so much he's going to come in. Somebody forced him to come in and change their sound. I mean, yeah. They were open. They wanted to go that way organically. They were already on the upswing. Yeah. There was like whatever album they came out with next was going to be huge. Yeah. It just might not have been this level, mm-hmm. but I think they were already going to be shortening their songs. They had said that multiple times in interviews before. So, and I don't think they were really doing it for, for, for money. Like I generally, I mean, they were doing fine. They were doing, they were already in arenas, uh, going off of the injustice for all tour. They were already over touring in Europe and doing festivals. So, I don't I mean if you ask them like, hey, would you want to you know get to a bigger, broader audience? Like, I'm sure the answer is always going to be yes. But mm-hmm. I think that's true, as true as it was when they were doing you know driving in a van and you know <laughs> to shows as it was uh, then. So I never would consider this a sellout record. But also, but it's funny because bands after they did load and reload, fans would be like, they need to go back to their thrash roots. It's like, but wouldn't that be selling out? Like if you didn't, if you didn't want to do that. If you were happy going in this new kind of more bluesy rock direction, that mm-hmm. didn't load and reload. But then you're like, oh shit, the fans are mad. We got to do this so they'll buy our record. Like that's selling out. To yeah. Me. So it's like at a certain it's point, when you're, when you're, yeah, when you're an artist, it's just like yeah, you just do what you want. And like, exactly. You just the heck with everybody else. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to add. Another question that came up uh, that just popped up to me. Um, Cliff Burton had died like five years earlier or four years before they started working on this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the hired gun documentary, Jason Newstead said like he's re- he was replacing basically the Jimi Hendrix of his instrument. Do you think if Cliff Burton had still been there in the style that he played, is this kind of album still made? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And that's not that's not to take anything away from this record. It's just Cliff Burton was a huge music nerd. He studied music 
like none of these like the rest of the guys are really proficient musicians and they write riffs but he could actually read music he actually there's a reason why master of puppets was so like it was sprawling with epics and longer songs but also never felt overtly long like Mm -hmm. it's everything was really tight musically and then in justice for all without him like you can tell the songs were going longer you can tell they weren't as connected it wasn't as smooth those transitions you really felt his presence missing in the in the musical writing and they're kind of like we can't keep going that way that's not where we're proficient like Mm. the band and that's just because of 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 who was in the like who was in the band cliff would always be a little bit more experimental a little bit more he was the punk influence he was a huge misfits fan Mm. so um obviously i'm not surprised like after like even in justice for all you felt it justice for all was a little less a lot less thrashy than master Mm -hmm. of puppets so you already felt that kind of more mid-pace creeping in and then they just because they couldn't go that longer direction they just shortened the songs so, uh, of course, they wouldn't have had this record because Cliff would have taken them in a different direction. And he, was a, he was a principled songwriter, yeah. but I don't think that's offense to any of the band or, or this record in general. Yeah. But So it's interesting you mentioned that because he's another... He, so, you know, here we have another member of a band that leaves who I just never realized how big of an influence they were. Mm-hmm. Like, I know he was good, but I didn't know how much, you know... So, the when we were talking about Chicago last time, I didn't yeah, know how Terry important Terry Kath was. And, like, when they lost Terry Kath, they're like, pack it up. It's, you know, yeah. we're never going to be the same band. And so it seems the same thing has happened here with Cliff Burton. You know, I didn't realize... I knew he was good, but I didn't know he had that much, you know... Yeah, really, really musical arrangement and, mm-hmm. like, how the music flowed. Headfeet would always come up with the riffs and the lyrics, but really, like, how everything connected in song structures. And I think Lars was really they both connected on like the new wave of British heavy metal. So like your iron maidens and those more epic scopes. Mm -hmm. So like they was connected with that. And I think Lars learned a lot from that. It's kind of taken up that flag a little bit, but Mm -hmm. obviously cliff being the, the one who studied music, you know, and, uh, and was more proficient at it. Obviously they lost that, that element to the songwriting and they tried to recapture it a little bit, but then you end up getting, I think a little bit more of what you saw in like death magnetic where they had longer songs. Some of them had no direction though. But yeah, you see, they, and that's the same thing. If you look at it, it's really reminiscent to injustice for all, even yeah. this, like they were injustice for all is definitely a little bit better in that regard, but mm-hmm. there was, they were getting to that point where they were longer songs, but they were less precise as far as direction and where they were going. than master of puppets was, so I think they saw that, and that's why they wanted to move in this direction. They were like, no. we can't, we barely, it's like we barely got away with it on Injustice for All. Mm-hmm. We would just be making a less, like we're, we'd be on a downswing, so let's mix it up and go a different direction. Now I really want to hear Cliff on Death Magnetic, on Death Magnetic and hear his influence, because I love that record, but yeah, some of those songs... Like what? Where are we going? Like what are yeah. we doing here? Like, <laughs> but again, speaking of the, the sellout, it's like I think they were constantly told, like, "Oh, we didn't." Everybody hated Saint Anger because mm-hmm. it was like shorter and there were no solos and all the stuff. They're like, "Oh, we gotta." They, I they definitely feel like they felt pressure, and that's why they brought Rick Rubin in was to try to reconnect the, with their sound. Never comes. And I just said, on a, "I want to hear him do a Metallica album," and he did. I forgot. Oh, yes, yeah. I thought you were joking. I was like, "The day that did. never comes." I forget. Yeah, that's one of my favorite songs, but that song just goes nowhere. Like it just it's and it's very much in that vein of song structure wise they're trying to do one again yeah like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of got that but it's not quite, that's the thing is it's it does that and it's a good song but it's not as quite as good as the one you're copying so yeah. then you're just the you're one light so yeah. it's that's kind of the and if you can't do that then you you got to change it up and I think where they're the bond, the band is the strongest is they're very riff centric they can mm-hmm. write a good hook so and I think this is as far as I'm concerned the band just kind of keeps trying to do radio rock style metal and i think they kind of did that a little bit with hardwired 
Yeah. The last album was a little bit catchier with like Moth into Flame, but still kind of had a little bit yeah. of heaviness, really riff oriented. I think that's where the band's really going to be like, they're never going to be master puppets again. Like they're never yeah. going to do that again. So people constantly say that. And I'm like, I don't, they, they can't. Unless we can resurrect Cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Got some black magic. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at how the Grammys may have responded. Um, like I said, it was, it was after their uh, controversial loss to Jethro Tull. But actually, because of that, because that was in the hard rock slash metal performance. <laughs> so they created the best metal performance <laughs> category. <laughs> and uh, that was in 1990. And they won it for one. Mm-hmm. And then they won it the next year for Stone Cold Crazy. And then they won it the year after that. <laughs> for for the black album essentially so basically like we're sorry we're sorry we're sorry we're sorry <laughs> but why would you, I, it's the one thing i don't understand with the grammys is why they let covers win it's mm. yeah. stone cold crazy is is a cover yeah. and just like well i don't know that's 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 always kind of oh, that's me. A, yeah that's a queen song yeah I, i'm just now seeing so it's like, are you are you saying the Metallica's good, or are you saying the Queen's good? Like, uh, I, I think and Queen's probably good. Like, Can't we say both? That's I mean, what we're thinking. We really like Metallica playing Queen. Queen, yes. Queen, okay. Metallica, okay. Together, they're awesome. awesome. Yeah, I just never, under- yeah. So. Well, that's when at that time, like Freddie Mercury had died, right? I do not know the year Freddie Mercury died. I th- yeah, I think he was gone by then because that was probably uh, see, that, that was nineties. Yeah, this he died in ninety one. And the song came out in um, guessing 1990. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they knew something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's the same thing. They gave Motorhead their first Grammy, but they gave it for a Metallica cover. Motorhead covered Whiplash, and then they oh, gave yeah. Lemmy the. Even though it was on a Motorhead yeah. album, that was also it was one of it was Motorhead's last record. But it was also fantastic. Yeah. It's like so. As metalheads, we collectively. Love hate the Grammys. As, as, <laughs> oh no, we so, discussed this, but just. well, and and so interestingly enough, and I know we're we're run, I don't want to run too long, but that was one thing I did want to, and maybe we do an episode on this, like the parallels between hip hop and metal and the Grammys, and how like they don't understand either. Yeah. I just I don't think they get it. I think they they're trying to get it, but they yeah. just don't like they're they're still like you know. I love that they got Body Count to play this last year. Ice T's metal yeah. band. Which, for those of you not familiar, if anybody, Ice T has a metal band called Body yeah, Count. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know the band was still together. I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, their last record, uh, Bloodlust, is so good. Okay, I, I, see, I, that I did not know. I just learned oh something. <laughs> Evidently, they also like hired a bunch of uh, outside musicians as well mm-hmm. to kind of help them write. Yeah, like, a bunch of people in the metal community. But yeah, they, there's some contributors on there from like Lamb of God, like the guitar player from Lamb of okay. God wrote a song. One of the guys from God Forbid. So like they they actually collaborated with a lot of other people, which mm-hmm. is cool because. You see that a lot in other forms of music, but in metal, collaboration doesn't happen. Like I said, double platinum, no features. <laughs> I'm just so it's it was it was cool. Album. It was cool. You had Max Cavalier from Simple Tora on it uh, with Ice T and nice. Jimmy Jossa from Hatebreed, so it was cool. And we just don't get to see a lot of collaboration. So I'm I'm kind of glad that Ice T brought that in to the metal community, and then it got to play on the Grammys. That was really cool. That makes me think of the Probot album that Dave Grohl did. Yeah. Where he brought in a whole bunch of people. Oh, he had King Diamond from Mercy yeah. Kate on there. And yeah, then... he had. He did a song with Lemmy. That was yeah. the single. Shake Your Blood. Shake Your Blood, yeah. So, and that's, I would love to see Dave Grohl. Well, Dave Grohl at this point could do whatever he wants. Yeah. But I'd love to see him do that again. 
um, because I don't think a lot of people know Dave Grohl is a huge metal fan. Yeah. Um, and always wanted to make a metal record, and I guess that was him making a metal record. <laughs> yeah. Um, I well, I know there's the you know bro, I've Cliff Burton, Cliff Burton for a little bit. If um, Dave Mustaine was on this, it was still in the band. If he was never kicked out. Would they have made any I'm of these glad. records? Would they, yeah, would they make <laughs> they any of these? No, none of these records would have been imploded. Ah, uh, yeah. Which and that's coming from a guy who's a huge Megadeth fan as well. A lot of people in the metal community, it's very much Metallica and Megadeth is your Marvel versus DC type of thing. You can't be a fan of both. What? No, no, I I agree. You can. I think. It's I think stupid. you can too. Yeah, and that's also I'm a fan of Marvel and DC, but it, but there Heck is yeah. a, there is a lot of Unity. especially in the in the in the big four. It was kind of like you pick your favorite thrash metal band. Mm-hmm. There were four major ones in Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer. And for some reason, it became a you know you have to pick your allegiance to one. I don't. And the biggest rivals were Megadeth and Metallica because Dave well, was kicked out of Metallica. <laughs> but it's just kind of like I, you're right. It's just you couldn't have two egomaniacs, and it like, never works. I so. feel like you could be a fan of both just because of the hilarious circumstances. In which Dave yeah. Mustaine was kicked out of the band. Yeah. Like, kick somebody's dog. And there was a like, I think, was- honestly, if, if that happened today, all over Snapchat. It'd be all over Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> hashtag Dave Mustaine. Yeah. Like, it'd be, someone like, would have had a picture of him standing at a bus stop. <laughs> no, it'll be, no, it'll be like somebody in the band. Okay, we're going to wake up Dave now. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it, would, it would not have, at the same time, it's like Dave needed to have his own band. Like, there's no way. Because, and even that, Megadeth is just Dave Mustaine's solo project. Yeah. With a couple other, like, people who have been around, like his bass player, Dave El- Elvison. I always forget about yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, he's been there since the beginning. But ultimately, it's Dave Mustaine writing all of the, all the material. But I'm a huge Megadeth fan. Mega Dave, I heard it called once. Yeah, yeah. It's just a solo project. But yeah. it's one of the things, they also kind of know what it is. Like, mm-hmm. he gets different sessions players. No one's under any false pretenses that they're going to get a creative. You have to, I heard one of them say in an interview, it's like, yeah, it's not bad. But you have to, you know, if you have a song idea, you send it to the manager. And the manager will give it to Dave. <laughs> you know, maybe you'll get a writing credit on an album. But it's like, no, Megadeth, I think it's perfect. Just let Dave Mustaine do his thing. He's a prolific guitar player oh yeah technically i would say like he pretty much was probably one of the pioneers of like where metal would go like in the 90s like the more technical style of playing he probably totally inspired a whole level of of musicians who kind of were like were more prolific more of like that rush style Mm -hmm. where people want to be more uh in tune with the instrument as far as like technical ability like dave mustaine was all over that so metallica wouldn't have this flavor this simpler you know not with dave no yeah you wouldn't have like because black album is it's a simpler the riffs are good and catchy but they're a lot simpler and the solos aren't they're not complex they're very blues pentatonic based yeah solos i've read interviews with dave mustaine where he is just like my 10 year old could play stuff like that like he does not Not, he does not want to keep it simple whatsoever I mean, go listen to um, <laughs> Holy Wars of Punishment do. Yeah. God, like that that song kicks you in the face and just like like part after part, after, like the solo after solo after solo till you get to the end. It's just, yeah, no, you're right. No, this album does not get made. None of yeah. the, well, I mean, as destructive as he is though, yeah. maybe nothing. Maybe we never hear from Metallica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We never even hear from them. It's like, who's Metallica? Yeah. <laughs> I know about the Mustaines, like Dave and the Mustaines. But it is cool, like how, like like those three thrash metal bands, like how many subgenres branched off from them. Yeah. You had the more technical uh, bands that were really inspired by Megadeth. You had like the more punk, energetic stuff of Anthrax, and mm-hmm. Slayer was pretty much 
everything evil. If you loved evil, yeah, like, it's you Slayer was your Rain blood. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it's just kind of cool, like how even though it was all under thrash metal, like how many different ways the genres, su- different subgenres went after that. It's kind of like where it all fanned out. All right. Um, well, I guess my last question is: what What do you think is the 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 lasting legacy of this album, as far as where Metallica went going forward, or you know how it's it's still may well you said before maybe not as much not as polarizing today as it was then but um why do you think it's still like a is it is it their crowning achievement that they like peak here or do you think even if they weren't as popular with their albums after but they were still like as good or maybe better I think I think this is the album that like metal as a genre is probably going to peak for the next twenty years. Like I don't think anybody's going to outsell this, or I don't even think a band can come close to like what this what this is. Like it's going to have to like metal as a genre is going to have to dramatically shift into something different to overtake this. I think this is when people say like what is metal. I think for the next like twenty years we're going to be giving them the black album. Say this is at least the first step. Mm. This is at least your intro of what this could be. It's friendly enough and catchy enough to not scare you away but it's also got a really heavy vibe that could get you get you into it kind of like obviously like black sabbath and stuff like that so i think the legacy is this is the blueprint for all kind of mainstream metal like what you would have to do but obviously being the blueprint everything else is just going to be copying it so for anything to overtake it i don't think it'll happen in my lifetime (laughs) i just don't say i think metal is in a very a place where it's just happy being the underground yeah. And it's not really like you might have like your bands, like your five finger death punches that kind of come bubble up to the surface who have a more catchy tune. But I would, yeah. I listen to them and I'm like, Oh man, this is like the black album. It's a lot of mid paced. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a ballad on it. You know what I mean? There's can't the, make it too fast. Yeah. You can't make it too away. fast or, 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 or heavy, but it's like, so it's kind of the blueprint I think for what metal is, is going to be. And I think because it takes that big bombastic rock element but also infuses it with a little bit of attitude, a little bit of that sneer that I think people generally like. Mm-hmm. I think even in all forms of music, like people like a little bit of music, music with an attitude, something yeah. with something that's kind of a little bit, a little bit dangerous, but obviously not overly so, I guess. So I think that, I want to say if that's like the legacy of the album, but it's definitely where metal is going to peak in popular culture, if that makes sense. No, okay. it yeah. makes total yeah. sense. I mean, it's, I mean, what, what were the final sales on it? Like something like 16, 16 million? million at least. Like, yeah. Who's going to do that? <laughs> it's, it's not even remotely like, possible. Not even in metal, like anyone. Yeah. <laughs> that's like period. Like that's, yeah. It, yeah. That's, those are phenomenal numbers. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I can't even see anybody doing anything close to that. But at the same time, it's like, I, I can't, I don't know what would be like the blueprint for, for do, for doing anything like clo- like close to that, you would have to like rock in general. I don't think can do yeah. it. much less metal. I would love. To, I mean, honestly, I really think kind of like you were saying, like it goes in cycles. I think rock will make a comeback. Um, I say give it maybe ten years because I mean, I, I honestly, I think we're going cyclical anyway. Like everything that was old is new. Bruno Mars just got a Grammy off of making New Jack Swing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like everything that was old is new again. Who knows if maybe we'll go through another grunge era. Um, so, but I mean, like, yeah, I mean, everything you said is pretty accurate. This is kind of the blueprint, so to speak. Every metal album that's like, I mean, hell, if you think of the subliminal verses, 
by Slipknot, which is considered widely considered their most commercial, one of their most com- more commercial records. Everything kind of slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It got heavy, but like you know, like um, God, what was the lead single off of that record? Um, Duality. Duality. Yeah. Is not as fa- like does not sound like Wait and Bleed. It's not as yeah. as aggressive as Wait and Bleed, or even um, the other song that I cannot think of that scares people when I listen to it. Vermillion was the kind of more haunting. Yeah, Vermillion. They had, well, they had two part one yeah, and part, part two. Yeah, part one and two. Um, but yeah, like if because if you listen to like you know Slipknot's greatest hits, that, like there's some tracks on there that don't go along. <laughs> that sounds so weird to with me. the others. Like it's just it doesn't you know. So yeah, I, I do think that that is. You kind of hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. And it's actually kind of funny because I think even though this is like the blueprint, at the same time, it's like when I was listening to this album and I was going back because Judas Priest actually came out with an album recently. So I, I was, was listening to it. You were yeah. doing that actually. Uh, yeah. and, uh, but I was listening to their album, like Screaming for Vengeance. It has a very similar blueprint and like flow as far as the album goes to this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I feel like they actually were like one of the first ones in Metallica kind of took that and almost mm-hmm. kind of carried it too. So it's it's been it's a it's a formula that's been kind of in the rock community. It just I think they just mixed it with a heavier, darker sound, but yeah. but enough to where the the musical uh, population in general wasn't scared off by it, and it just kind of took off. So and they hit, they struck while the iron was hot too. Yes, right before metal died. Everything nineties, <laughs> everything after this, the nineties metal went away. <laughs> yeah, never to be heard from again. Yeah. Well, so did what killed metal then? I think, well, in general, I think people were just tired. I mean, like I said, it, it is cyclical. So people just generally got tired of the over, you know, big, you know, cock rock style of just, you know. Because if you think of grunge came in, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily grunge that killed metal. but Well, it was, but it was like. I, thought grunge, just, grunge, I, I say grunge killed hair metal. Yeah. But in, in the. Glam metal, whatever. I think people just lump glam metal in yeah, they do. us. And it's just, we're all, we're all. As much as we don't like that, it's <laughs> it, it just it killed that like big you know rock style that I think was most of the popular bands that were so you yeah you saw like metal kind of go away so yeah it was grunge but it was also just people wanting something different and uh, you know a lone singer songwriter you know something like Kurt Cobain with acoustic guitar really singing from the heart rather than you know girls 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 I was gonna say wait you're telling me that Motley Crue was not respected I, in the metal community. No. Is that what you're here to tell me? Because I'm going to be hard. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there was any hair metal band like, you know what? Those guys Twisted are okay. Sister. I, I will say I'm a fan of D. Snyder. Actually, I'm more a fan of D. Snyder, the, the man. Yeah, he's than... a cool guy. He he did a lot for, yeah. he's done a lot for censorship and music. Yeah, so I like him more as a man. I'm not, I don't own any Twisted Sister albums or anything, but if I if I had to pick one hair metal band and say they have street cred as far as metal goes, I'd, it'd probably be Twisted Sister. Not Cinderella. I was, <laughs> he actually he's working with a bunch of. He actually is coming out with a new album. It's actually D. Written, Snyder. Yeah, D. Snyder, and it's actually written by a bunch of metalheads. Really? Yeah, like they wrote all the music, and obviously he's going to sing over it. But a lot of people, like Howard Jones from Killswitch Engage, okay. contributed a bunch of songs, and a lot of people are saying like it's actually really good. Like, it's, like D. So I, I don't know when it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm actually kind of excited for that as a fan of the guy. I'm trying to because now I'm trying to think of like that scene, you know, the L.A. glam metal scene. Poison, and all the bands uh, they oh god poison uh, uh poison and and all the like you know winger all the Im- all the imitators like Cinderella was an imitator yeah. that was somebody just like hey man we got a song and we're from L A all right you get a record contract you get a record contract you get a record contract what was the one that had um uh they did cherry pie oh. warrant warrant yeah <laughs> would you would you lump so would you lump a band. Uh, 
God, I feel like we're all over the place. Would you lump a band like Quiet Riot? Like early Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes in that? Yeah, I will. Okay, so it, so there's probably not a lot of logic other than the fact that I'm only lumping people in who I like. And <laughs> so you just as long as you know that it is cherry picking, I guess is that mm-hmm. it's like I love uh, Randy Rhodes. So yeah. I think there are some places where, because hair metal, as much as I joke, hair metal is a part of the metal family or tree. Yeah. Like you can't say it's not. We just, it's just a redhead stepchild that yeah. we don't really like. <laughs> But Quiet Riot and like yeah, like the Randy Rhodes guitar playing is fantastic. Yeah. So it's so yeah, I would I would take credit for them. It's a more of a, who are we not embarrassed by? Well, because I go back and listen to like early, so like some of these bands that are lumped in, in in the hair metal. If you listen to records before they broke, like if you listen to early Scorpions, yeah, it does not sound like right. new Scorpions. It does, like it if you listen when Uli John Roth was still in that band, the Cells of Sharon. Sounds nothing like there's no one like you. Like it's not the same. <laughs> so it's like th- that. That was one thing that really kind of got me when I was going back and looking. Like I'll look at like you know the 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 mainstream stuff that broke, but then you go back before they got big, and it's like oh you were actual metal. Like you yeah. were like early Scorpions was like akin to like like Deep Purple or like you know they like phenomenal guitar playing really good singer like and then just somewhere along the line they're like we can make money off of this and, that, and that's where you could start to flirt with the idea of like sellout is like it's like yeah you clearly saw where they were like oh you're a band who can play your instruments we've had the, we have this formula that we know sells records yeah insert you into formula and then and then you, you change so i think that's a fair thing and you could say like oh well there definitely is a formula to the black album but at the same time i think it's a formula that they like yeah, I could still see I could see Bob Rock's influence as far as like the album, the pacing, but mm-hmm. I the only reason I wouldn't is I think they were going that way organically. No, yeah, then, yeah, I agree. But yeah, there is definitely a formula, and that's probably where we gets a little it feels a little bit dirty to yeah. like, a fan who wants everything to be like, you know, super from the heart and organic. Uh is is that kind of because obviously they picked regardless of nothing else matters is on the album or not, they picked it as a single. Yeah. Because songs like that had worked formula probably. But Yeah. It's like at the same time, like I pay bills. Like, like, like <laughs> I feel like, 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 like that album started the time where um, every Metallica fan, like, if they're if they're kind of like splitting off in the two camps, mm-hmm. this was the this was the fork here. <laughs> but and then, but then it was like anything Metallica does that seemed a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Became polarizing. Like there was a big deal when they like all got a haircut. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like the nineties. Like yeah, yeah. Let's, like, let's <laughs> yeah. but I like how Allison Chains was calling them out on it. They're like, yeah. they, they did a thing where they were like, friends don't let friends, friends get, get haircuts. haircuts. And yeah, like your singer doesn't have long hair. Like yeah. what are you talking crap for? <laughs> so it's like yeah, they cut their hair, but at the same time, it's like is that what makes them? I mean, I think we're now at a point where we can kind of look back and kind of laugh at those like yeah. tropes, yeah. but it's like. Yeah, is back your hair what serious. makes you metal? Yeah, <laughs> <Back> people, <down. laughs> people did take it seriously back then. That was a little yeah. strange. Well, and, and, but I guess the, I guess the a weird thing would be like, like with Kiss when they did an album they didn't have on the makeup. Yeah, like that's something people that should be funny you, now. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Kiss was like, you know what? We're not going to make the same mistake again. <laughs> well, I think it's because people realize that holy crap, these songs are terrible. <laughs> Nothing about <laughs> the pyrotechnics and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh, these a they're ugly and b the songs are bad. Why was I listening to Paul? More Stanley makeup. Can't sing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> more makeup. More fireworks. 
tighter pants. I have a lot of friends who are actually really big Kiss fans, and I just I never. I don't get it Kiss. either. Yeah, there's a couple of songs I like, but I don't. Get, Which I is sad because a lot of like my heroes, as far as like people who are in bands now, love will, Kiss. will we will say like, "Oh, Kiss is totally what got me into it." I'm mm-hmm. just like, ah, oh, don't say that. that don't I don't see it. Don't, don't see it. Yep. <laughs> Personally, not a Kiss fan, but I was a Rush nerd, so it's like whatever. Oh heck yeah, I love Rush. Uh, all right. Um, anything else you want to add about the? Um, um, I think we've said all we can say. Are okay. we? Should, yeah, we good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for our discussion about Metallica's self-titled album uh i kept seeing the word colloquially referred to as the black (laughs) album (laughs) aka the black album um so uh get to my earworm of the week um this was a it's a band called cut copy and back in the days where uh itunes would have like a few songs for free every week um I got one of their songs called Saturdays, but this is from their newest album called Haiku from Zero. I haven't listened to the whole thing, so I don't know what that means yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is a song called Black Rainbows. I've added it to my infamous We Lit playlist. Uh, for those who haven't don't know what that is, it's basically my playlist when I drive for Uber. Um, so people don't ask for the ox cord because I don't carry one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is Black Rainbows by Cut Copy, and we'll be right back. by Cut Copy from their album Haiku from Zero 
And uh, you can find that on our BTTYHT Earworms playlist on Spotify right now. Or my We Lit playlist, whichever one. We Lit! <laughs> um, Alright, so that will bring us to the end of our program. Ben, can you tell the people where we can be found? Yes. Um, well, actually, before you do that. Yes, Patrick. Patrick tell <laughs> the people where you can be found if, if you, you want to be yes, found. if you want to be found. <laughs> That's fine. You can find me uh, on, on Facebook, on Twitter. That just search the Rogue Reviews Metal Podcast, and of course, same thing with you guys on iTunes. Uh, you can search just the Rogue Reviews Metal, and I will pop up. There'll be a picture of a little dark-looking figure, mm-hmm. kind of rogue-ish. You said the Grim Reaper. Is that within? Yeah, I literally googled rogue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm also a huge D and D and like a World of Warcraft nerd. I play a rogue in everything, mm. so I, that's kind of where I was either going to do a World of Warcraft podcast or metal. And I don't know why I chose metal. No one really this listens to awesome. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it kind of became the Rogue Reviews Metal Podcast. So it was a little bit funny, but nice. All right, cool. Well, okay, now I'll tell the people yes. where we can be found. So uh, <laughs> we can be found on iTunes. Uh, well, let me let me start over. I did that wrong. To our Facebook fans, hi. Um, we can be found on Facebook.com. So by the time you hear this podcast, um, or by the time you hear this, excuse me. If you're watching us, you found us. Congratulations, you've cracked the code. Um, if we you watch us next now. week, <laughs> if you watch us next week, we'll give you the second clue to our treasure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Get, get the people watching. Um, so yeah, you can find us on there, Facebook.com/slash. By the time you hear this, you can find us at by the time you hear this dot com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at by the time you hear this. Um, that is spelled with the letter U, and that is because we're upstanding. Yes, and not under investigation <laughs> or um <laughs> under scrutiny man like dude it's but i digress uh, <laughs> the website and the facebook are spelled with the word you y-o-u um same spelling for the email address as the instagram with the letter u um, at gmail.com drop us a line we'd love to hear from you um as far as listening to us on the go itunes google music not google play but google music um, Podomatic, you can find us on Satchel Podcast Player, TuneIn Radio, Auto Radio, um, and I believe, did I miss one? I always feel Overcast, like I missed one. Overcast. Yeah. Overcast and CastBox. Any of the podcast aggregate websites um, or apps on your mobile devices. Yes. All right. Um, well, we started the show with Enter Sandman, and I'll give our guests the choice of what we can end the show with. Ooh. Still off the black album, we can do. Oh, wait, let's do. Uh, let's do my friend of misery. I love the bass intro to that. I feel like it's got a re- and it really has a cool tone that's kind of reminiscent to the rest of their album. Cool. All right. I had to pick on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Definitely. Anytime. Thanks um, for having me. I'm sure this won't be the last time because, uh, and hopefully, this was an educational episode because. Of course, we probably talked metal more than we've ever talked metal. Yeah. Ever. And I learned a lot about what's going on in music. Like I, live, I feel like I live in a bubble now because now that you're not at work with me. Yeah, that is true. Um, so hopefully, to you know anyone who listens to this, yeah, we went in a different direction, but hopefully, you went with us and you listened and you learned something. I learned something, and yeah, um, yeah. the more you know. Okay. I don't have the star, but you know what I'm doing. All right, so that'll do it for our show. We'll end it with my friend of misery, and we will talk to you all very, very soon. Peace. Peace.